0: Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another Sooth Keep live stream. We are going to have an exciting program tonight. Um, I've I'm, I'm been looking forward to this program all week. Brother JB has been looking forward to this program. There is so much to talk about, so much that's applicable to us in our spiritual warfare today. I can't wait to get started. The only item of housekeeping I have tonight before we introduce JB is I ask you to keep praying about that court situation, the legal situation, with my uh, two-minute introductory video. I'd like that to get resolved. It's a pain in the backside, folks, but that's just part of being in spiritual warfare. The devil goes at us from every angle. Well, most of you, I'm assuming, know who J.B. Hickson is, but for those of you who don't, uh, he's the pastor of the Plum Creek Chapel in Sedalia, Colorado. And he's headed up a ministry known as Not By Works Ministries since, I believe, 1999. Uh, a deep interest in the gospel, in discernment, in sound doctrine, and eschatology. And folks, if you're not familiar with his YouTube channel, I encourage you to go to Not By Works and subscribe. There's, yeah. Go ahead.
1: I was just gonna clarify we we don't really post stuff to YouTube anymore. We still have several thousand videos on there, but we quit using YouTube. Okay. two and a half years ago when we had 11 different videos get you know get wiped off of there and they kept punishing me and giving me uh, you know penalty marks. And so uh, not is the best place to go, but all of our videos are on Rumble and you can get there from our website, notbyworks. org. Okay, thanks for
0: the clarification. Good to know. All right. Well, let's go right into the program. We're going to chat until whenever, and then we're going to have some Q&A at the end, as we usually do. So if you have questions that you want to bring up to JB at the end, hang on, give them on to the moderators, Carly, Hanalore, and they will get them to me, and we will get them to JB. Well, why don't you... um, We're going to start with Ephesians chapter six. Oh, you need to put your, um, it's not up anymore. We need your um, screen share.
1: Okay. Let me see here. Share screen uh, window. How about that? Will that work?
0: There we go. So here we go. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness Of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So, brother, this is commonly talked about, but I think it's not very well understood. It's shallowly understood. So, why don't you walk us through this verse? And if you need to give us some of the context, do that. We need to be up to speed on spiritual warfare.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Ephesians has a lot to say about spiritual warfare. If you remember in the book of Acts, Paul had several encounters with Uh, demonic activity and sorcery and that type of stuff while he was in Ephesus, where he spent three years, almost three years. And so it's not surprising that we have a whole chapter here uh, that talks about our spiritual warfare in chapter six. But this is a well-known verse. I know most of our our viewers will know this verse. Uh, And it speaks about the battle that we are engaged in uh, as being uh, non-fleshly, but spiritual. And he lists four different I guess you'd say categories or uh, maybe ranks, if you will, of evil spirits. Uh, Principalities is the first one. That's the Greek word arche, uh, just means ruler or authority. Uh, Luonida, a pretty reputable Greek lexicon, calls it wicked force. I think that's a a good way to put it. Uh, Against principalities, against powers, that's just the standard word exousia, might or ruling power. Uh, rulers of darkness, that's an interesting one. It's the only time in the New Testament this word is used, crator, and it, it literally means one holding power over the world, And uh, which is interesting because we know from First John 5, 19, that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And so that's an interesting word that Paul chose uh, under the inspiration of the Spirit, of course, to use there. And then he closes it out by talking about the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly realm. Uh, the word hosts there, if you have a good English translation, should be in italics because it, it's not really in the original text. It Literally, it just reads, you know, spiritual wickedness or wicked spirit beings, pneumatikos poneria. And so, you know, the idea here is you've got evil rulers, you've got ruling powers, you've got uh, spirits holding power over the whole world, and then you've got these wicked spirit beings, all of which are behind the battle that we, you know, that we are engaging in. And, you know, one of the things that I've really focused on the last, now coming up on 18 years, is the reality that what we see and feel and touch all around us, uh, especially in the last, you know, 100 years, Is really not what it's about. There's that we are under a great last day's deception. In fact, back in um, 2012, my first book on this subject, uh, as I decided to kind of shift from some of the other theological topics that I had written about into this realm of the Luciferian was called "The Great Last Day's Deception," and um, and and so you know. Uh, what we have learned in school, what we we're taught in the media, what we the government tells us many times is not uh, the truth or certainly not the whole truth. And so, you know, I've often said when things are heating up in the heavenlies, it 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 spills over onto the earth, and 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 we see things heating up on the earth. Or conversely, as things are going bananas here on Earth, especially you know with COVID and all that's happened in the last three years, or you can even go back uh, two decades to nine eleven, and we just see life changing dramatically in the in the norms and and everything that we've become accustomed to in this country. And I think that is an indication that things are heating up in the heavenlies. And so, uh, yeah, Lee, it's uh, it's a key verse that has uh, really, uh, I come back to again and again. You know, Paul puts it this way in Second uh, Corinthians 10, that though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Uh, and that's something that we need to, to keep in mind. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshly. They are mighty in God through pulling down strongholds.
0: I don't know if you noticed, brother. But, oh, but you would—you had, had frozen up for a little while. You're not frozen now, but
1: for like five minutes,
0: you froze up.
1: Oh, you're kidding! While while I was waxing eloquent about Ephesians six twelve, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, shoot. Uh, so was it sharing <laughs> the screen or no?
0: Yeah, no. Well, I shared the screen and then unshared it. But when I came back, you were just just kind of frozen, and all we heard was your voice. I mean, the voice was great. The audio was fantastic, but. The
1: video is froze. <laughs> oh, interesting. Well, okay. Well, we've got fiber optics, so hopefully it shouldn't be an issue. But uh, well, that's just that's 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 an illustration of the spiritual warfare, right? I,
0: I was just going <laughs> to say that uh, it's amazing some of the things that happen with electronic equipment, with that the demonic realm can get involved in it. the The demonic realm operates on the electromagnetic wavelengths. It's operating in the realm of light and in the realm of electricity.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no doubt.
0: Well, you brought up this passage about not walking in the flesh uh, and that the weapons of our warfare are are um, not carnal, but they're mighty for God to pulling down strongholds. And you'd mentioned some of the strongholds that we face, for instance, the kids are going to face in school and stuff. But... How about a, a practical application for the believer's life? I mean, everywhere we go, we are assaulted, even if we're not aware that we're assaulted, with uh, the oppression from the the dark realm trying to distract us. So what are some applications that we can take into this for our everyday spiritual warfare?
1: Well, you know, I think the Bible gives us a lot of data, particularly in the book of Acts, on how to interact with demonic Beings and, and evil spirits and so forth, and so even though Acts is not you know prescriptive, it's descriptive. I think we can learn a lot from that. Uh, same thing with the Old Testament. We see encounters in the historical narratives of the Old Testament with these demonic beings, and so uh, obviously Jesus' encounter in the wilderness after his uh, baptism, as he began his ministry, is instructive as well. So if we take you know some takeaways from that, it would be use the word of God as a weapon. You know, the word of God is the the offensive weapon. There, Satan. Uh, Jesus used it against Satan. We can use it too. We have all kinds of anecdotal evidence from those who have been on the front lines of this. Uh, did I freeze up again? Am I still good? Or no, not?
0: you're fine. Yeah. you're okay,
1: yeah. Good. Uh, I was looking at your expression, and I thought, I wonder if I froze up again. But, uh, but you no, know, the late rust is Dar. You know, talked a lot about encountering, um, you know, these evil spirits and you know, how we use the word of God and it just makes the, the evil spirits flee. They cannot uh, abide in the presence of, of the word of God. Uh, I think prayer is critical. Uh, by, the, by the way, we know from the seven sons of Sceva that, you know, this type of thing is not something to dabble in, right? I mean, it's it's not something, even though we greater is he who is in this than he was in the world and we have the, the you know, the power and, and the victory and all of that. It's not something that the average believer should just go looking for a fight with the devil because it's it's a pretty uh, pretty heavy stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I've often pointed out that Second John, I think it's verse 8 or maybe verse 10, I think it's verse 10, talks about how when someone comes to your door and doesn't bring sound doctrine, these false teachers in, in the late first century there, you shouldn't even bid them hello, not even le- let them in your house. And uh, that's because behind such false teachings uh, is a demonic spirit. You know, it's, it's evil. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, uh, you know, all kinds of things. And a lot of Christians, I think, naively, uh, you know, welcome those types of uh, belief systems into their home thinking, well, I can just convince them otherwise or, well, that's, you know, you got to wrestle with Second John 10. It's pretty clear that you shouldn't even let them into your house because God knows what a, you know what an evil spirit that is, uh, and then we could get into hitchhikers and some of the other issues related to spiritual warfare. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's pretty pretty uh, serious stuff. And the key thing, Lee, is I think it's it's ramping up. Yes. So my uh, my book, Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume Two, is all about the paranormal, uh, the uh, you know UFOs and and all this kinds of thing that I think. It's no accident we see more and more manifestations uh, of this because Satan is not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. Uh, he's not omnipresent. He has to use his evil spirits, the ones that are at his disposal, to do reconnaissance missions and to send them out, to report back. And he, is ever, especially ever since Israel became a nation, uh, 1947, 48, that was critical when the world started talking about letting Israel back into the homeland When Satan saw that, he knew that his time is short. We're we're getting close uh, because he knows Israel plays a key role in the tribulation period. So I think at that point, that's when we really see a marked spike in, in some of this type of activity.
0: One thing I've thought about, too, just observing my own life. If I don't make cautious use of the world's music and the world's movies... If I'm not careful, that stuff can affect my emotions. It can affect, affect my thought patterns. Very quickly, things can spiral out of control spiritually, bringing on anger or, or feelings and thoughts that shouldn't be there. And so for me, a, a lot of my spiritual warfare kind of bring it right home close to the vest. Just be very careful of what I allow to come into my eyes and what I allow to come into my ears.
1: Yeah, it, it really is a battle for the mind. We, we read about that in Colossians uh, uh, chapter 2. Uh, and that very next verse after the one that I showed on the screen, uh, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4, the very next verse says, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And then notice, bringing every thought into captivity, uh, to the obedience of Christ. So it really is a battle for the mind. And uh, you're right. You have to be careful about that stuff. You know, Wendy and I uh, have studied this for years. We've gone down this journey in this this rabbit hole together. Uh, and, and, you know, we can tell you there have been many, many times over the last 18 years where we've had, we've become so overwhelmed by all of the evil that we see out there that we're uncovering and reading about and learning about that we had no idea it existed that we just have to set it aside for periods of time. It, it becomes consuming, depressing. It affects everything about you. And and we have to just get in the word and let the word kind of rejuvenate us. I mean, uh, some of the books that I have in my bibliographies in the books, you know, I kind of think they should come with a disclaimer. Don't read this if you have a weak stomach, because it, it explains some pretty evil satanic ritual type stuff that, that's going on out there.
0: Well, one more thing on this subject before we move on. I've often thought about how the youngest generation, kids that are maybe 25 and under, are just being completely lost to the things of God to a large degree. And there's several influences here. But one of the ones I think about the most is how deeply involved these kids are in games mm. that encourage them in witchcraft, in magic, and connecting with the demonic realm, the dark realm. What are your thoughts on the dangers of this?
1: Yeah, wow. I mean, um, that is so true. And of course, it, it it's always been around. It goes back when I was a kid and people were playing board games like Dungeons and Dragons and things like that. But it uh, it's hard to overstate the danger of the types of things that they're doing today. First of all, you've got the spiritual aspect that we've been talking about, but even apart from that, you've got the physiological aspect of it, of just sitting in front of a screen for hours on end and just the way your mind reacts. And and by the way, this is why the military, you know, has been training young people for decades now in in front of a screen with a joystick. You know, the, the modern warfare is totally unlike uh, what it used to be. I mean, it, it's always bad warfare is, is hell, of course. Um, uh, but nowadays these, these kids that enlist, you know, they, they, they pump them up with drugs and chemicals and they turn them into these really almost, uh, cyborgs in a, in a way, just, just con- mind controlled people. And they, they have no problem sitting at a, a computer terminal and dropping bombs, you know, on people. Um, but that's another whole subject, but yeah, you're right. I mean, this is something that is by design, of course, if you if you understand the history of it in America, they've wanted to control and capture the minds and hearts of our young people for a hundred years. One of the big ways they do that is through Hollywood. I don't know if, if your uh, viewers are aware, I imagine some of them are, but Hollywood is, is, has long been a beachhead of, of, beachhead of Satanism, uh, going back to its founding in the mid 19th century uh, it was it was called Hollywood as a nod to the holly tree, which witches use branches from the holly tree to do their spells, and it's it was just became a key outpost for advancing Luciferian uh, concepts and agenda. And anybody that you know comes out of that will tell you that the under the dirty dark underworld in Hollywood is just sickening. If you if you really knew what was going on,
0: yes, I've even read about people that are respected for their children's movies, like Walt Disney of some of the horrible stuff that he and his cronies
1: were involved in. Oh goodness. Disney was satanic from the beginning. The whole Disney world and Disneyland operation, especially Disney world were started in conjunction with the CIA as a massive PSYOP and psychological experiment. Uh, That's pretty well documented. Of course, that's not the mainstream narrative, but, there's enough evidence out there for those who take the time to look into it, uh, you know, to see that, uh, yeah, it's it's the, the the Luciferian elite that that really work at the behest of Satan to control uh, things. In fact, I don't know if it, we should try throwing up another slide or not. It might cause us to freeze. But uh, go ahead. Let me try it here. I got to get to the right slide. Uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, some of you may have seen this and some of my stuff before but let me go back here and share just that slide uh window boom all right did that come through
0: yes there we go
1: all right good um so The Luciferian conspiracy is a biblical concept, and it's also well-documented in earthly human history, but a conspiracy is just two or more people working together to to, to do something bad, usually in secret, and the greatest conspiracy of all, of course, is Satan working in conjunction with evil spirits and human accomplices, and that triad constitutes the Luciferian uh, conspiracy. The earthly realm, the earthly component of that, that the human accomplices Uh, is comprised into three tiers. You've got the top tier, which are the ones who actually get the marching orders directly from Satan. They pray to him the way you and I pray to Almighty God. They think of him as the hero in the biblical narrative. They think of God as the antagonist in the garden. Uh, But they actually, in dark, smoke-filled rooms, are, are talking to Satan. Now, there's probably only... You know, six or eight families at that top level that go way back in their bloodlines. Uh, uh, you can read a "World, Worldwide Evil and uh, Misery uh, by, uh, oh, his name escapes me at, at the moment. Uh, it'll come to me, but uh, he's done the most research on that. Uh, and then at the second level, you've got different institutions, which, of course, are made up of people uh, uh, that constitute hundreds of thousands of people, some of whom have no idea they're involved in a Luciferian conspiracy. They're just, you know, doing their job in some respects. Um, and that's where we see all the secret societies. I'm going to be speaking about uh, secret societies in uh, Orlando in March at the uh, Prophecy Summit. I know you'll be there as well. Uh, and then at the bottom level, you've got politics Uh, military and intelligence agencies, world religions and religious, you know, organizations. And then you've got all of the satanically controlled policy groups like UNESCO and uh, some of these other, uh, you know, groups. Uh, So and there are millions of people in that level. And most of them are on a need to know basis and have no idea that what they're involved in is something, uh, you know, pretty, uh, pretty evil. So, uh, you know, all that to say, you know, this this. You know, has been going on for a long time, and Satan, I I believe, is ramping it up as we get closer and closer to the end. And America is a real right in the crosshairs because we've been standing in the way of the one-world system for you know since our inception.
0: Well, it's interesting to me is when you look at how deep this web of deceit goes. You get people that get all excited about some clean the world up political vision. And they don't have any idea what they're up against. They have this idea, we get enough votes, uh, we get enough a handful of people in the right places, and we can right the ship. Uh, why don't you give us a little insight why that can't be done?
1: Well, you're trying to get me in trouble now, but that's all right. Um, I, I haven't had any really nasty emails in a while, so maybe this will... Break that streak, I don't know Uh, No, I I just encourage, I'll I'll give you my Thumbnail sketch, but I encourage people to read My Spirit of the Antichrist books, which are Well documented, one has 60 pages Of bibliographic citation, the other Has 38 and and they they document well the uh, false left right paradigm and the fake elections and controlled uh, elections in this country. But we don't have elections; we have selections. It's all by design. Ever since we went to digital vote tabulation machines several decades ago, it's all been rigged. Uh, we don't. We we may go through the. Uh, motions of voting but it's all pretend and so people ask me all the time do you vote and i say i absolutely believe in voting i just don't believe in pretend voting i'll vote but i'm not going to pretend to vote and since we have these rigged systems that your vote never counts there's no uh, chain of custody of the votes it's all completely rigged you just dutifully go through the motions and then later that night cnn tells you who the president is and, and you assume that it's an accurate count. But there have been all kinds of documentaries out there, books written, congressional hearings, people have died trying to blow the whistle. I mean, this is well, well documented for those who take the time to look behind the curtain. And so the reality is, you're right, we're never going to turn this thing around at the ballot box. Uh, if we could, we would have done it long before now, because uh, at least at surface level, at face value, uh, the you know, the, the right Republicans is present promoting the proper philosophical and moral viewpoints and the left, the Democrats are not. And so if, if, if the voting really worked and the system really worked the way most people think it would, all we would need to do is make sure that we had a Republican in the white house, a Republican controlled Congress, a Republican controlled Senate, and a majority of Republican appointed Supreme court justices. Well, guess what? We've done that multiple times and nothing ever changes. In fact, it gets worse. It was a you know, Republican uh, supermajority on the Supreme Court that handed down a decision last year that was the most demonic decision in the history of the U.S. Supreme Court in which it claimed that unborn children are not citizens. They're not human beings. They don't have any constitutional rights. The Dodds decision. Sadly, many naive Christians hailed that as a victory, claiming we have overturned Roe v. Wade when, as usual, the Luciferians were calling light dark and dark light, and it was just the opposite. The Supreme Court uh, can only rule on things that are expressly uh, stated in the Constitution, and they can only defer to the states those things that are not expressly spelled out in the Constitution. And so when they deferred this issue of whether the unborn have the right to live, uh, whether they have the constitutional right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, they were saying quite clearly Unborn children have no constitutional rights. They are not human. They are not citizens. And that is 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 blasphemous. And it's now become just a matter of where you live and what states say. And all of these states, the red so-called red states that are outlawing abortion. Don't fall for, it. give it time. You know, things get worse and worse. Second Timothy 3:13. Uh, we're not likely to see all the blue states turn red. We're going to see the red states turn blue. And so um, it, it was just a horrible decision. But yeah, you're not going to change it at the ballot box. You know it's often been said that for us to uh, take back our country, we have three avenues to, 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 to do that. Three boxes, if you will. The ballot box, the jury box, and the, uh, and the, uh, cartridge box, so to speak. Uh, and the, the jury box long ago went away. They've controlled the juries, especially at the federal level for years. Um, there've been movements afoot to try to, you know, remind people of the constitutional rights of juries, but most juries are completely bought and paid for. They're tampered with, or they're just you not, know, not given good instruction. We've already talked about the ballot box. And so that leaves the, the, uh, you know, the cartridge box and, you know, that's the worst way to go. But sadly, and I hope this doesn't happen, but there are a lot of people out there that are are feeling like we've done all we can. And yet our votes don't count. Nobody listens to us. The, the, the government is controlled by rogue elements that are not out for our best interest. And, and I think that's exactly what the Luciferians want. They want American citizens to take up arms uh, against each other. In fact, I don't know if you've seen the trailer for the Alex Garland movie that comes out April 26th in the big screen. It's a big, you know, Hollywood production called Civil War. And oh, no,
0: yeah, that. I've seen trailers yeah. for that. Yep.
1: Unbelievable how they're telegraphing, Indeed. I think, and predictive programming. You know, what's what's what they see coming down the pike, and, and we've only seen the trailer, but uh, you know, I'm sure when we see the movie, it'll be quite telling as to you know a, an accurate picture of what. Uh, the global elite want to happen in this country, to turn on ourselves. If they can get us to shoot each other, they don't need to shoot anybody. You know.
0: What's really interesting, bringing up the, the movie at this point, is that for decades, actually since the early 1900s, science fiction books and science fiction movies and apocalyptic movies have been one or two decades ahead of the curve, sometimes three, four decades ahead of the curve, told us ahead of time where the luciferian agenda was headed. Mm-hmm. I just find this fascinating.
1: Yeah, it really is and there's a lot of evidence that some of these uh, Hollywood again, you know, refer to my earlier comments about Hollywood, are channeling demons and getting special insight uh, you know, through the evil realm and so I'm not saying that it's all conscious intelligent predictive programming sometimes it just could be happening in the spiritual realm yeah yeah there's no doubt that especially in the realm of science fiction as you say we've seen you know some pretty prescient stuff
0: i've seen uh years ago observed that when you come to the end of the world apocalyptic movies the the power that's coming to destroy the earth is always painted as the bad guy or the bad guys yeah and the one and they're ugly (laughs) <laughs> they're painted. They're they're made to be ugly. Yep. And then the ones that are here, that come and show up to save mankind, are are beautiful, and they're they're the nice guys. And so, really, it looks to me like this is just preparing the world to call God the devil and yep. to call the devil God when it, the chips come down at the end of the age.
1: That's a great point. You're right. And that's right out of the Bible in terms of the Antichrist and the descriptions that we see, of him, which I talk about in my Spirit of the Antichrist, volume one. Uh, yeah, they, they want, you know, Satan himself, right? Masquerades as an angel of light. And so that's the whole, that's the whole premise. You know,
0: one more thing I want to cover on this before we move on. In Mark 327, we read No man can enter into a strong man's house and take away his goods, except he first bind that strong man and then spoil his house. To me, when I look around at all the problems we see in the world in Hollywood, and in politics, and in education, like this stuff is so deep and so thick, you wouldn't find enough righteous men with enough dump trucks and shovels to actually haul the garbage out. There'd be no place to put it. Yeah, but someday, some glorious day, our Lord's going to come down and He's going to haul all that filth out. He's going to
1: take the trash out and drain the swamp. <laughs> yeah, he is. I've been glad somebody finally will. I mean, Trump drained it right into his cabinet and, and federal appointments with sixty-seven CFR members. Uh, so much for draining the swamp. But uh, yeah, you know that's a great passage uh, there in early in Mark's account. You know where they were accusing Jesus of casting out. Demonic spirits by the power of Satan. And, and and basically, Jesus points out that that makes no sense. It's not logical for him to be casting out Satan's agents if he was, in fact, one of Satan's agents. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, since Jesus was, in fact, destroying Satan's work, which he did ultimately at the cross, uh, he's got to be stronger than Satan. And, and you're right, what a day that's going to be when Christ uh, comes back. You know, he's. He's sitting at the right hand of God today, the throne in waiting. But but one day, uh, you know, God's going to say, go get them. And uh, yeah, we had a, we had a dog once when we were er- early in our marriage and she loved to go out in the backyard and chase squirrels. And so we got to, to where every time we let her out, we'd say, go get them. And then she'd run out there. And of course, she never caught any of them. Uh, it's going to be different when Christ comes back and God says, go get them. Oh, man, he's going to ultimately defeat The Antichrist and false prophet first, casting them into the lake of fire. And then a thousand years later, Satan joins them where he, the Bible says, will be tormented day and night forever and ever.
0: And then the saints here on earth, the unglorified that are being ruled over and the glorified that are ruling. We are going to enjoy the glorious freedom of the children of God. And it is going to make the best glory days of America look like living in a shack in, in the middle of the Sao Paulo uh,
1: dump yard. Wow. Totally agree. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's exciting. I get excited just thinking about it because uh, I tell you what, 2024 is shaping up to be quite the year. And if you don't have that hope, I was just working on my message for Sunday, you know, today, most of the day, in fact, and I'm starting a new series on first Thessalonians. And it's just amazing to me how, Paul ties the, the everyday hope of the believer to the return of Christ. You know, if we didn't have that hope, uh, Paul says, if not in 1 Thessalonians, but he says, if in, in all, if, uh, if in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most pitiable. I think it's 1 Corinthians 15. Yep. And uh, so I tell you what, it, it's exciting when, when things look like they're falling apart on the earth. That just means God is bringing everything together.
0: I've often paraphrased that passage, uh, and maybe it's actually a little bit more accurate of a translation, but if in this life only we have hope, we are of all men the most to be pitied. Nobody, nobody gives up more earthly gain and earthly opportunities for less in this world than the devoted believer. You know, yep. And some people say, well, how about the Buddhist priest? Well, yeah, he's given up a lot of physical substance, but wow, does he cash in on the praise and the pride of man? And same same with the Catholic priest. They give up a lot, but wow, do they cash in on religious pride. Yep. Uh, but the believer, we, we sacrifice on every level, every aspect of our life for zero earthly gain.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, it's all about perspective. You know, multiple times Paul talks about setting your mind on things above and our citizenship is in heaven. And you know, we're just Peter says we're just sojourners and pilgrims passing through. It's, it's all about perspective. And I, I tell you what, Lee, people, especially the church, the believers are going to need to remember that perspective more than ever before this year, because unless God intervenes, or of course, unless he comes back to rescue us from this present evil age, uh, we're gonna we're gonna face some unprecedented times, and I think we need to remember uh, where our citizenship lies.
0: Well, you and I talked before this program actually kicked off a little bit about how we're engaged in a spiritual war that goes all the way back to the Garden, and it progresses forwards. You have this a battle that's foreseen between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman and we see this developing all throughout history and we see the genesis 6 nephilim thing happen, and then it's again after the flood there might be debate over how it happened after the flood but there's no debate that it did happen again after the flood and that stuff's still here today now You mentioned an interesting story. Do you want to go into the Miami episode?
1: I would love to. And I imagine some of your viewers are probably have caught wind of it. But I started hearing about it shortly after it happened yesterday. People started texting and emailing. And it was some pretty bizarre stuff. And obviously, we still don't know uh, and may never know the facts of the matter. But let me just tell you the facts as we know them. And then um, I've, I've actually got L.A. Marzulli. Uh, on tomorrow for a special weekend edition. I reached out to him today and he agreed to come on and, and give us his take on it. Uh, so folks can keep an eye on notbyworks.org and we'll post that tomorrow. But uh, apparently in Miami, there was a some type of massive incident at a mall that involved up to 50. Some people even say 60. You can see fo- cell phone footage of it. And I counted at least uh, 40 to 50 Ah, uh, police cars descending upon this mall. Uh, the original report was there was uh, a group of uh, young men uh, in a, involved in a brawl with sticks, hitting each other with sticks. Um, but you know, obviously, as is always the case, eyewitness accounts and people posting on Twitter and Facebook and whatnot said there were multiple gunshots fired, and then they all started reporting, you know, multiple reports that they they saw. They were eyewitnesses of several seven to ten foot tall, some people say eight to ten foot tall, alien-looking giants that were in the mall, and they started shooting at them, and that's where all the gunfire uh, came from. Uh, Of course, uh, the official response was they confiscated cell phones, they scrubbed the internet, they shut down the power in that area. By the way, they also, in the immediacy of it, shut down the airport, and you saw black helicopters flying overhead. I mean, this was way much bigger than just a few kids hitting each other with a stick. Uh, And yet, uh, that's the official narrative. And so more and more is coming out. It's still very fresh. I think we'll get more eyewitness accounts. Uh, Some of the phones were not able to be confiscated or scrubbed. A lot of people said they took their phone, they gave it back, it had been wiped clean, back to factory reset. Uh, So we don't really know. uh, But uh, LA uh, has kind of weighed in, as have some others, and said, if this, the eyewitness accounts turn out to be true, this could very easily be uh, a, a manifestation of evil Nephilim that, that we've had before. We had another one a few months ago in Las Vegas uh, that was in someone's backyard. They called 911, reporting these 10-foot-tall giants that were climbing over their fence. The police came. Uh, the giants disappeared. But local news uh, reporters, inclu- including uh, well-respected, uh, you know, Peabody and Emmy Award winner George Knapp, reported on it, investigated it, looked into it, and said, by all accounts, it was a legitimate. Uh, report the police even said, "Yeah, these people were clearly shaken. They were not, you know, making this up. They saw something." So, you know, that's just two anecdotes off the top of my head. Uh, you know, counting the one that happened uh, yesterday, uh, that indicate we could very well be seeing again an upsurge in you know evil, demonic type of uh, of activity. Now, again, I, I don't know. I wasn't there, um, but something doesn't add up. The official narrative. And all the eyewitness accounts are completely inconsistent.
0: Yeah, and that's one thing I've observed over and over again. When you have an official story that would require three or four squad cars uh, to, to respond to the situation and you end up with five times, ten times that showing up. You're in a situation where you would want cell phones and you would want the official video from the in-store cameras. Everybody would want that. They'd be demanding it. And now you're in a situation where they scrub it. Yeah. Something does not add up. There's obviously something they they do not want the world to know about.
1: Yeah. So and it's deception. And, you know, so much of this Luciferian conspiracy is not monolithic or planned or somebody's pulling a string and all of a sudden something happens. A lot of it is even beyond their control. I mean, Satan is the ultimate, you know, henchman at the at the head of it. And, uh, you know, there's some weird stuff going on in the spiritual realm, as we read about, you know, in, in Ephesians 6:12. 12. So. Yeah, time will tell. I hope maybe by tomorrow, uh, you know, L.A. put out a plea for anybody that has firsthand footage to send it to him. Uh, He did a video this afternoon just kind of weighing in on it. Uh, And I hope maybe by tomorrow he'll have maybe more intel about it and we'll have some more data.
0: That'd be great. I think I'm going to want to watch that myself. If I can't watch it live, I'd love to catch the uh – Catch it later.
1: Yeah, so we're going to just record it. It won't be live. Uh, we'll record it, and then I'll post it immediately. So I would look for it by, you know, tomorrow night, at, you know, 5, 6 o'clock uh, central. We should have it posted, hopefully. Well, now, what's interesting, I have long
0: suspected <laughs> many folks who are on, down the path of spiritual warfare, the Nephilim, uh, the cryptids and stuff, long been of the opinion— that as we get close to the end of the church age, we're gonna see spiritual manifestations ramping up and then they're gonna explode once the church is out of here. Maybe you can open the subject up a little bit.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, what does LA like to say? When we go up, they come down, right? And I I think that's probably uh, a great uh, summary statement of it. We know that the closer we get to the return of the Lord, uh, we're going to see an upsurge in this type of paranormal activity. Uh, we we know this biblically in terms of biblical history. Every time we have a shift to a new dispensation, there seems to be a flurry of bizarre uh, sort of paranormal type activity. If you read the book of Acts, there are a lot of things that happened in the apostolic age during the revelatory age, you know, that are not normative for today and, and died out sort of toward the end of the first century. And it was, we didn't see, such an upsurge of it, you know, like we saw in the first century. Well, we're seeing it again. And so, you know, Second Fest 2, uh, which I know you're an expert on, and I've really va- benefited from our dialogues. And, and uh, uh, you know, we've I think we had you on the program to talk about that very subject. But, uh, you know, one of the key things that that does talk about is, you know, the restraining influence of of the Holy Spirit in the church. And when the church is removed that restraining influence is gone. And so you think it's bad now, you ain't seen nothing yet. When the church uh, is removed, absolutely we're going to see all hell breaking loose on earth. I think that's when AI and embodied AI and the whole image of the beast, that kind of stuff that I talk about in my newest book, uh, begin to unfold. Um, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, th- throughout church history, We have no way of knowing just how many times a believer through the influence of the Holy Spirit helped stem the tide of some evil action or evil activity. And maybe it was a believer in a board meeting when the board was wanting to do one thing that was immoral or wrong and he or she stood up and said, no, we can't do that. Or Who knows, countless uh, innumerable examples of the influence of God's people as they follow the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit in their life. Uh, when that's gone, it, it's going to be, I mean, there will be believers pretty quickly after the rapture. I think within hours of the rapture, there will be many people who, who trust in Christ and become believers. Uh, but it'll be nothing like uh, the the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the restraining influence that that, that brings in the church uh, in the present age.
0: Yeah. And, and- you're only going to have seven years. I mean, you're going to, people are going to be much more leaning on uh, the immediate work of the Holy Spirit that you would see in the Old Testament times rather than what we see currently. And you're also going to have um, very little spiritual maturity. They're going to start
1: at zero right there at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. No question. And so, yeah, I think, uh, you know, it, that's what Paul is talking about there in Second Thessalonians 2, is, is that restraining influence. It, it's, to be clear, it's not the Holy Spirit that's removed, although many people use that verbiage. Yeah, uh, That's not the proper way to, to, to say it, because, of course, the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, he is the third person of the Trinity, uh, and all of the attributes of the Godhead apply to the Holy Spirit, and, and that one of those is omnipresence. There's no place that the Holy Spirit cannot be. So to think in terms of the Holy Spirit being removed from the earth is not a proper, but cert- certainly his influence through the convicting work and ministries of the Holy Spirit that we read about in the epistles uh, on the world today uh, through the church will be gone.
0: Yep. Yeah, the, when the church is gone, the work of God is going to start from scratch all over again. I like to tell people the Holy Spirit will still be here during the, during the tribulation. Um, and he's going to still convict men of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. But he's starting from zero. He's starting with babes in the Lord who don't know the word of God, uh, like men that have been saved and women that have been saved for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, they got a deep foundation, tons of spiritual experience. These guys are starting at zero. And uh, the Lord has a special place for his work in and through the church. And there's going to be a lot of similarities in the tribulation, but it is not
1: the same. Right. No question. Yeah. And, you know, one of the unique blessings of the of believers in the church age is that sealing and permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have no biblical indication that that is is going to happen to tribulation saints. And we know for a fact it didn't happen to Old Testament saints. The Holy Spirit could come and go. And that's why why David had to pray, uh, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, uh, Psalm 51. So... um, so it's just a different ministry. The um, Holy Spirit's alive and well. He's always been alive and well. He's God. He's eternal. There never has been a time when he didn't exist. But his ministry uh, and, and activities will take on a different uh, aspect uh, after the rapture.
0: So you would think then with Israel and the tribulation that the new covenant blessings that the Lord is going to try and bring them into, you would see those starting at the beginning
1: of the millennium then rather than during the tribulation? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, this would be a great discussion uh, for you and I to have sometime because I really value your your biblical and theological mind. But I I hold the view that none of the new covenant blessings are enforced today. You know, I, I think the new covenant, when you read it in Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah 31, Nothing about it applies to today. In fact, some things are in direct opposition to it. For example, when the new covenant's enforced, the Bible tells us that no one will need to teach his neighbor because everyone on earth will know about him from the least to the greatest. Yet in the present church age, we have the great commission that commands us to go teach everyone because there are many people that don't know the Lord uh, and many other blessings like that. So I see the blessings of the church age truly as a completely separate uh, foreshadowing Uh, of the the picture that Israel is going to get when they come into their fullness. So the new covenant to me is just like the Davidic covenant, uh, the land covenant, all of the components of the Abrahamic covenant. They're all in lockstep. None of them come into play until Christ takes the throne. But part of the reason that the church has blessings that are similar to, but not identical to the new covenant blessings is to provoke Israel to jealousy as we read about in, in Romans. And so that Israel will say, hey, you know, I want that. So I think what we have today is is in part, uh, and 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 Israel will get it, and the whole world, in fact, in in its fullness when uh, the covenant program is fulfilled. All that said, though, I totally respect the traditional dispensational view, according to which uh, the blessings of the new covenant are spilling over into the church today, and we are sort of a partial recipient of it, but won't get the full blessings until later. I mean, we all end up in the same. Same place yeah,
0: it, that is a complex situation to try yeah. and work through. Yeah. Because the new covenant was specifically addressed to Israel, made specifically with Israel. And yeah. somehow by people might vary on their explanations. The Gentiles participate in the blessings that come through it. Um, but it's not specifically made with the Gentiles, specifically made with Israel. All the nations do get to be blessed, though. It's, it's uh, kind of hard to work through it.
1: Yeah, and and the blessings of the True. Gentiles, that, I mean, pretty clearly won't happen until the the kingdom. Yeah. Uh, the church is a subset of the Gentiles. And I just, I take a pretty hard line on the the mystery of the church and the parenthesis of the church and that everything right now is unique to the church. And we are the ones that are bringing blessings to the world, not Israel. Uh, yeah. Someday Israel will bring blessings to the whole Gentile uh, world, but it is it is uh, pretty interesting stuff. The New Testament, all of the references to the New Covenant, and the New Testament, with the possible exception of Second Corinthians, what is it four? Anyway, I can't remember the exact reference where Paul talks about being ministers of the New Covenant. Uh, yep. All of them are pretty clear. Clearly, Israel, you know, Jewish in nature. Uh, the of course, the one in the upper room when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper—that's when the New Covenant was ratified. Yep. So. You know, the Abrahamic covenant was given and ratified in the Old Testament at Abraham's day. The Davidic covenant was given and ratified in David's day. The land covenant was given and ratified in Moses' day. The new covenant was was promised in the Old Testament, but it wasn't ratified until the cross. And so, uh, and that was before the church age, right, by the way. So, you know, the church didn't come about till 50 days after the resurrection. And so I take it that, Uh, And then all the other references are in Hebrews where he's referring back to how Christ is the ultimate sacrifice and superior to anything that, uh, you know, uh, uh, Judaism had to offer for those Jews that were thinking about reverting back to Judaism. So I think that Paul is essentially saying in that one passage, which is really the only potential one that indicates the new covenants in force today, is that, you know, we are all... ministers of the blood of the new covenant. We share in the Christ of the new covenant. We share in it in a different way, but it's the same Christ, the same God who's going to fulfill the promises to Israel is also the one who's saving the whole world.
0: Amen. Amen. I'm so thankful that Practical theology, but on the ground the level at which we get saved, is so much easier to understand than than really putting together some of the deeper points of systematic theology.
1: Absolutely, and to that end, uh, this would be a good spot to to mention the simple gospel and the childlike faith that it it calls upon people to have in order to be rescued from the penalty of sin. You know, not by works. We're passionate about the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the gospel. And uh, I I try as best I can every time we're on a program to at least take a sentence or two and share the gospel. And the gospel is quite simple. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died and rose again to pay your personal penalty for sin. And anyone who in simple faith trusts in him and him alone as the only one who can forgive their sin and give them the free gift of eternal life instantly is saved the moment they place their faith in him. And so I hope if any of the folks that are watching the live stream have never trusted in Christ, I hope you do that today. And anyone who might watch the video later, uh, by God's providence, you stumble upon it. You need to understand you're a sinner who needs a savior. And the only hope is Jesus Christ who died and rose again for your sins.
0: Amen. Amen. And any victory that we ever find comes through him, not to him.
1: That's true. Amen. Amen.
0: I know as a young as a young man, I was very unclear on the gospel. Didn't knowing it ever, I didn't hear it in the church I grew up in. First time I ever heard the gospel preached, it was in circles I would be in uncomfortable in today, it was Catholic charismatic circles. <laughs> but they preached you have to be born again. And if you're born again, you have eternal life. It's the first time I ever heard it. And I immediately jumped all over it. I I, I I was uncomfortable with the thought of you're just going to die and turn to dirt, and then, and then what? Well, that that was such an ugly, dark thought that the first time I heard the gospel, there was nothing to think about. I didn't even stop to to, to go through it and process it. As soon as I heard it, I said yes. Mm. In fact, I I, I embraced it bef- without even consciously thinking of it. Yeah, it was what I was looking for.
1: Yeah, Paul said the, the, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Amen. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, uh, even though the gospel goes forth, uh, some people, uh, you know, turn a deaf ear to it. They quench the spirit. They're not they're not able to, uh, you know, we're not willing to respond. But we don't know at some point as the gospel continues to go forth, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit will break through. And, and just like that, faith meets the gospel and the result is eternal life.
0: Amen. Now. Here's a subject we've talked about a little bit tonight. Um, do you think believers should be more worried about the classic demonstrations of, of the dark spirits? Like we talk about demon possession and we see it in movies and, and maybe people have even experienced it with family or friends or one or two situations. Or should they be more concerned about the subtle agendas that Satan is disseminating through this world in the religious and political realms?
1: I mean, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I, I, it's hard to quantify either. I mean, it's kind of a both. And I think at the very least, we need to have an awareness as we talked about at the outset today of the spiritual realities that are, that are out there all around us. Um, But you know, we do it live in a practical world of time, space, and matter. And so to whatever extent we can, we we ought to be making a difference. But, you know, if you'd asked me that question 10 years ago or 20 years ago, uh, it might take a little bit different approach. But right now, I, I believe, you know, that, that time is of the essence. I really right. think we're, we're facing some urgent times. And uh, people, you know, uh, need to be thinking in terms of the spiritual reality. Now, that doesn't mean you you know, you sell all your possessions and move to a mountaintop and dig a hole and sing Kumbaya or anything like that. We still have to live life to the fullest. We have a job to do until Christ calls us out of here. We're, we have a job to do very clearly as the church. And so we ought to be living life and fulfilling our biblical mandate as as the body of Christ. But we ought to do it today with a slightly different um viewpoint than maybe we might have done it back in the 50s and 60s. Um, you know, I think we need to be consciously aware that, you know, things are are heating up. I mean, just in the last three years, we've seen major changes in in our freedoms. The the attack on free speech. You know, my, my friend David Fiorazzo has written a, a powerful book called The Assault on the Image of God. And before that, he wrote one called "Canceling Christianity," and both of those are, do a great job of documenting uh, just stuff that, if you'd asked our grandparents about, they would never dream these kinds of things would happen. Never, uh, you know, never dreamed that that I would be canceled from YouTube because I quoted the New England Journal of Medicine. You know, wow, how dare me? You know, uh, so but because we took a different view on. You know issues related to the pandemic uh, from the official narrative. No matter what sources we cited, it didn't matter. You know uh, that that we can't have that. So you're banned from from YouTube. That kind of thing. Uh, so you know, I think again, I would say we probably I would lean more toward you know not not the demon behind every bush approach and and the exorcist approach, but just the realization that this there's something that it's not about what it's about, as I've said many times. There's something going on in this world that we need to be aware of.
0: Yeah, it does seem, Though the older I get and the more discernment I get, the more I realize our entire political system, both sides of the spectrum, is saturated with demonic activity. Our entire military industrial community is saturated with demonic activity. The global cabal, the deep state, Um, Of course, everyone knows about the secret societies and stuff. figure they're demonic too. But uh, the whole music and media industry, the whole news industry, it it doesn't matter where we turn this world. We are walking against a thick wall of demonic beings who are practically shoulder to shoulder trying to dissuade us at every turn from biblical obedience
1: yeah they really are and if i can if i can put in a shameless plug here i'll put a can i put a slide up on the screen here yeah absolutely uh let's see if i can get back to it so that's where we left off uh but uh i wanted to uh mention uh let's see here the three book series that i did and I, what made me think of it is you mentioned uh, Secret Societies and I have a whole yep. chapter on Secret Societies in the Red Book, Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2. So Volume 1 and 2 came out in 2022 uh, and then Spirit of the False Prophet came out last September, so it's brand new. Uh, but all of those document a lot of the same kinds of things that you know that we've been talking about uh, tonight and, and you can find out more at notbyworks.org slash store or just go to spiritoftheantichrist.org, spiritoftheantichrist.org, and that you can read the preface you can read the whole table of contents and see some of the topics uh that we talk about there including a lot of the paranormal stuff that I think is an indication we're getting close.
0: Yes this this demonic activity to me um once you see this you can't unsee it. Once you see it in the political realm, you can't unsee it. Now, it's not uncommon for believers to see it um, when they're, you know, they're not very old in the Lord, and they realize, wow, this, there's this demonic activity, satanic activity in media, in Hollywood. Maybe they'll pick up on it that it's in the bad rock music. But once you start to realize, oh, this is everywhere. This whole world is a sewer of unbelief.
1: Yeah. And even the clean things of the world are dirty. (laughs) Yeah, I know it. Yeah, I mean, you know, you've probably experienced this too, but Wendy and I, you know, we've traveled extensively. That's just been our our lot in life, uh, both through Not by Works Ministries. And I also spent nine years working with a company called Logos Bible Software, traveling on their behalf, doing uh, uh, presentations and training and academic stuff uh, when I was in academics. And we've just been able to sense you know, territorial spirits, regional places where we, we just sense something is, is not right here. And I I know some people might think that sounds weird or, you know, sounds too uh, emotional or charismatic, but it's a reality that there are places that are, I mean, Satan is not omnipresent and neither are his fallen spirits, his fallen angels or demons. They, They can't be everywhere at one time. So it's, it follows that there might be concentrations of them for one reason or another. And when you're walking in the spirit, uh, you can sense that. And, uh, you know, animals, uh, maybe you've experienced this too. Uh, we're big dog lovers at, at our, uh, uh in our family. And we, uh, we have four dogs. We live out on property in, in some, uh, uh a mountain air mountainous wooded area in Colorado. And, you know, we've seen for years when, when the dogs sense something that we can't see, uh, they 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 just go crazy. They won't go outside, or maybe they'll bark at the window, or I mean, it's just there's an awareness of otherworldliness that I think uh, ser- animals have that that more naturally than than human beings do. So, you're, I love your description of it. I forget what you what you said, but thick as thick as fog or something is yeah. around us. You know,
0: what's interesting too is accounts I've read of people who are outdoorsy people, they have dogs that are fearless, dogs that are not afraid of bears, they're not afraid of mountain lions, they're not afraid of wolves. You know, one dog will stand off with three, four wolves. One or two dogs will stand off with a big bear. A couple dogs, one dog alone will stand off the mountain lion. And yet, Occasionally, these guys will have an experience in the woods that they cannot explain. Yeah, and their dog, who's not as scared of a 500-pound bear, who's not as scared of a 180, 220-pound mountain lion, is is terrified. His tail yeah. is between his legs.
1: Oh yeah, we've uh, we can attest to that yeah. as well. For a while, when we lived uh, pretty remotely up at about 10,000 feet. Uh, or I guess it was where our place was was about 8,500 feet, but all around us went up to 10 and 12,000 feet. We would we we had one summer one uh, summer where we had 27 bear sightings just in that summer alone, and most of those were on our uh, property. And our dog would stand them down. He we would we didn't have a fence, and so we would put them out on a, a, a leash or a, a runner or whatever you call it. And he if he would run right to the end of that thing, and if we hadn't got a hold of him, he'd have run right into that bear and just done, you know, fought with him. Of course, he would have lost. <laughs> but uh, but but yet, there are lots of examples of, you know, dogs, you know, cowering, whimpering. In my *Spirit of the Antichrist* Volume Two book, I talk about strange disappearances. And uh, David Politis, some of your viewers may know that name, but I give some details in that chapter on accounts that he's given he's like the world expert in studying researching and documenting strange disappearances that that do not conform to any conventional explanation like you know runaway suicide you know predatory animal killed them or you know that type of thing kidnapping they just disappear out of nowhere and he tells a story of search and rescue teams with their search and rescue dogs that will you know follow the scent up to a certain point and then just stop and whimper or turn around in circles and act like they don't, you know, what's going on. And they sense something that you know is highly unusual and highly paranormal. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's just one more way that you know we can get a glimpse into the, the unseen realm. Hmm.
0: There's so much that goes on in this world that we do not understand and until we get deeper into the spiritual realm and start reading stuff uh, about the spiritual realm we're we're still going to maintain that bank of fog we're just not going to see or understand
1: yep yep i agree yeah and and someday we will see some days right someday our eyes will be open and uh, our faith will be made sight and uh, but until then we walk by faith that's why paul says that in 2 corinthians 5 We walk by faith, set our minds on things above. Uh, We've got to keep the right perspective uh, because it can be debilitating if you, you know, when you really start to realize what's going on around us.
0: Well, I got one more passage I'd like to turn us to, um, which is in Revelation 16. And I've long been fascinated by this passage. I'm going to read verse the sixth bowl. Uh, 12 through 16. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. These are spirit demons or demonic spirits performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Now, to me, this is fascinating on a couple levels here. Let me see. I think you put a a slide up here. There, There we go. There's the verse if anyone wants to follow it. But what's interesting to me is here you've got the dragon, who's the devil, and you've got the beast, who's an awful being, and the mouth of the, the, the false prophet is an awful being. And then now they each have this frog demon come out of their mouth. It's like demonic creatures or beings also have demons. This is really bizarre, but these powerful demonic spirits go out and deceive the whole world. Now, what the question I had raised on this is, is this a brand new phenomenon, this kind of deception, or is this something that's been going on for a long time, and this is just the final act that brings everything to a climax?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've always taken it as certainly the final act, but and 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 greater in degree. I think it's been going on since yep. time began, since Satan led the rebellion in heaven. Um, but I think by this point in God's plan of the ages, first of all, you've got a whole slew of different types of evil spirits than there were at the beginning. Because when it first started, you just had one third of the angels that fell. Yes. You've got fallen angels, right? Then all of a sudden, now you've got these hybrids after the, the incursion when the fallen angels cohabited with the women and, and they gave birth to the Nephilim. And then you've got their offspring. And then you've got you know the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim, whatever that is. Most people call those demons, uh, who knows? But, you know, now here we are 6,000 years, 7,000 years later in human history and 6,000 years at the point of Revelation 16. And so I think it's it has been going on for a long time, but I think it's it's a matter of degree. And this is unprecedented in human history, like so many things uh, that the Bible talks about Joel 2. It talks about how this will be uh, unprecedented darkness and gloominess like never before jesus as uh, matthew 24 uh, thir- 21 i think it is talks about how this will be uh, you know deception unlike any other and earthquakes unlike any other so i just think yeah this is the cu- the climax of satan's you know kind of swan song he's doing throwing everything he can up there And getting ready for the battle. And isn't it amazing that with a word, when Christ comes back with that sword proceeding out of his mouth, he defeats the beast and the false prophet. Yeah, to me, that's an
0: amazing story. But there's some very, a lot of encouragement in this, brother, I'm just thinking, because we're living in an age where there's a lot of darkness, there's lots of deception, uh, we're frustrated at the compromise, the hypocrisy, at the apostasy that we see everywhere. We see apostasy in the world. We see apostasy in the professing church. We see things that look like apostasy to us in corners that that have a lot of good about them. And so it's it's discouraging. It's frustrating. But there's a glorious opportunity here. We have an opportunity to be faithful servants and soldiers in the greatest hour of spiritual battle since the founding of the church. Yes. And may may God strengthen us. May mm. he help us. May he give us vision. May he give us fire. May we have a, a feeling of the spirit and a feeling of the word like we've never had before because we've got battles coming like yep. we've never had before.
1: Yep. And we better be ready. I mean, we better be prayed up. We better be aware. Uh, we, we This is not the time to coast. Uh, this is the time to, 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 to know the word, to stay in touch with, with ministries like yours and, and, and others and, and be, uh, up to speed on, on what, what's happening with Bible prophecy. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I think there, there's certainly a lot of minor details that people might disagree on within the conservative Bible prophecy movement. Um, but you know, I think it's LA Marzulli, uh, and, and La and I might not agree on everything. Uh, I'm not necessarily endorsing everything he says or you says or anyone else says. We all should do our research and study the Word of God. But, but I think one of his famous uh, La Marzulliisms, if I can use that phrase, is uh, you know we ought not be uh, arguing. We ought to be comparing notes. And, that's right. And, and I think that's a very good way to put it because uh, time is short.
0: I've often uh, had similar thoughts. There's you know you can take. Any 15 of of the heavyweight names of our era that you think of in the dispensational prophecy world, and line those guys up, and there's going to be a large degree of agreement amongst them, but they're all going to have points at which they're disagreed with every one of the other 14 guys there.
1: Yeah, sure.
0: But this isn't a disadvantage to the younger believer. This is actually an advantage, Because in the multitude of counsel, there is safety and you get the advantage of listening to all these heavy hitters and knowing that none of them are right on every point. But knowing that by listening to a variety of these guys, you increase your odds that you're going to be right on more things than any one of those guys are.
1: That's a great point. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. And by the way, I I don't have to tell your audience this, but if you and I ever come to different conclusions on certain things, go with Lee, because he's a lot smarter and well studied than I am, especially on uh, the languages and things like that. But, you know, I get emails, I'm sure you do all the time when someone will will not like something I said, and so they'll cite other people. You know, the most common one that people love To throw up to me is Andy Woods. And Andy and I are very close friends. He's going to be on our show later this month. And uh, we've known each other for years. And we joke about it, you know. But people will say, well, you know, Andy Woods doesn't believe that. And you just want to jump through the computer and strangle him and say, okay, so that's fine if Andy Woods doesn't believe that. I respect Andy, but it doesn't really matter. What does the Bible say? Now, if you email me and you say, this verse means this, and what about this? And I take a look, that's fine. We'll have a biblical dialogue. But we live in an age where people, like to be spoon fed, and they they are very quick to jump on uh, personality bandwagons, and so you know I I hope I never get to that point. I'd much rather hear people say, you know, I've studied this issue and come to the same conclusion as you, JB, rather than you've convinced me, JB. That's not what I'm trying to do.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, you know, there's something else that's interesting about this. Uh, a lot we're getting into error because there's lots of of tension on a lot of different issues amongst God-fearing believers who are in the dispensational camp. And a lot of times believers say, I'm just so tired of controversy. I don't even want to hear any more debates on pro this, anti this, pro that, anti that. And can we just all agree on everything? But don't sell controversy short, folks. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Um, uh, you know, the it says, Paul wrote, It's necessary that divisions come so that those who are approved may be made manifest. And every one of these divisions where one of your favorite teachers is at odds with another one of your favorite teachers, every one of these situations is an opportunity for you to learn and for you to grow, for you to use your God-given reason, your God-given responsibility, your God-given discernment, um, these are all glorious opportunities and there's reward for every one of these issues and none of us are right on every issue but all of us have an opportunity to be right on every issue
1: and that is so profound i hope folks are listening to what you you say i mean you've 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 really hit on something there this the benefit of disagreement. I mean, Proverbs, what is it? Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, right? Amen. You know, Amen. And, and as long
0: gonna... as the, the, the
1: conversation
0: is carried on in a good spirit,
1: yeah, th-
0: right. th- we're promoting Bereanism. We're not undermining it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I, and and honestly, you know, we all are guilty sometimes of being a little grumpy. And, you know, I've, I've learned, and I still have a long way to go, but I've learned not to respond to critical emails Uh, because, but sometimes you just, you can't help it. You just, you just want, you just have to respond and get defensive, (laughs) but you know, you're right. Be gracious. That's the key. Be gracious. And, uh, you know, uh, learn, learn and grow and study. And, uh, and, and that's hopefully until the Lord comes back and then, then we won't have to study anymore. Right. Well, brother, do you have any closing thoughts before we move on to Q and A? Uh, no, I'm excited to get to hear from some of your, uh, your listeners there and answer some questions. I'm just so grateful for you. I, I wish I'd have known you longer, um, but God in his timetable, you know, kind of brought you into my uh, sphere and network. And I'm grateful for that. I feel like uh, if the Lord tarries, we're going to have a lot to learn uh, from each other, especially me from you. But uh, looking forward to uh, being together, I guess, in Orlando, right? Oh, absolutely. I'm looking forward to that time, too. And, you know, it's really been interesting because
0: I'm a relative newcomer, really, to the prophetic arena uh, as far as on the national platform. Uh, Mondo and I both be, you know, rose about the same time, and and it's it's been very interesting to see uh, the Lord give us both open doors. But to come in and start rubbing shoulders with guys that have been in their field of expertise for 20, 30, 40 years— yeah. That's a tremendous blessing.
1: Oh, listen, I was the same way. I I'm, I'm pretty much in the same boat. I mean, I had uh, in the academic realm, I had you know done some writing and speaking, but nothing near on on the level that we've accomplished in the last or been allowed to do in the last three years. And the first time I was asked to speak at a prophecy watchers conference, I was like a wide eyed you know kid in a candy shop, and I just I couldn't help myself. I kept you know going up to people and saying, "Can I take a selfie? And will you? Can my <laughs> wife take our picture?" And and I know that's you're not supposed to do that when you're there's protocols right when you're one of the speakers, you're not supposed to act like a fan, but I couldn't help myself. And it it was such a blessing to, to even think of being in the same room, but I I've learned a lot. And, um, you know, and and hopefully people have, have been able to to benefit from some of the stuff that we've uh, we've contributed. So
0: yeah, what's amazing about that is the first time I got to be on camera with Gary Stearman, I felt the same way. It's like you got to be kidding! I mean, he's been a hero for a long time, and I get to be interviewing with him.
1: That's awesome. Oh, <laughs> me too. I listened to him uh, religiously on my commute. Uh, you know, even though it was videos, I would listen to it on my phone. And uh, gee, it was surreal, uh, you know, meeting him for the first time. And uh, so many men of God uh, that the Lord's used to build into my life. And uh, just thankful to, to kind of to be a part of it in a, in a small way. And, and you know, who knows when the Lord's coming back? If he tarries, we've, we've got to carry that torch, right, Lee? Amen. We
0: sure do. Yeah. We sure do. Well, let's move into the questions. We actually got quite a few. Please explain Luke 2136. Clarity would be nice, so I will go ahead and read Luke 21:36 here. Well, it'd help if I go to Luke instead of John. All right. Watch therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass. So I can I can see their dilemma.
1: So is that for me?
0: Yeah, go ahead, brother. Okay. If you got answer, field it.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of these types of passages in the first century were uh, fa- find their fulfillment in the destruction of Jerusalem. You know, this they they knew what was coming. Um, I don't. You know, I certainly this is not something that only certain people within the body of christ are worthy of escaping the tribulation i don't think that's it at all that would be in conflict with you know the rest of the biblical teaching on you know the church not being part of the wrath of god so i think this is the context here is similar to what jesus talks about in matthew's account in matthew 23 of the coming judgment of jerusalem that was on the radar now of course you know Uh, The covenant guys and especially the preterite guys, they make it all about 70 AD. Everything's fulfilled in 70 AD. But, uh, you know, at the same time, there are some prophecies that the Bible speaks of, such as the destruction of Jerusalem. And I think that's probably what this is talking about.
0: Absolutely. And even if we give it a last day's application, it has nothing to do with being worthy on your own uh, progressive sanctification to merit going up in the rapture.
1: Right. Yeah. The
0: only merit you have to go up in the rapture is the fact that you are born again by the Holy Spirit because you believed in Jesus.
1: Yeah, amen. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's the whole juxtaposition throughout Jesus' earthly ministry is the worthy versus the unworthy. You know, the whole prodigal son, I'm unworthy. In and in, in expressing his unworthiness and his righteousness by faith, you know, we're able to, to come uh, to a position of being worthy in Christ. And there are some people in the
0: tribulation who are going to obey the command to flee Jerusalem when the Antichrist comes up in the temple and and does the abomination of situation. Um, And if they flee, and they flee the way the Lord said, they don't go back to the house and grab their go bag. They just go without their go bag. Then um, the Lord has given promises to deliver some of them through the tribulation to the end.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's that's if there's an eschatological application here, and there may be, uh, you know, then then that's. Uh, but again, especially in Matthew's account, and I'm not yep. as familiar with Luke's, uh, yep. uh, but this is Luke's account of the Olivet Discourse, Luke 21. Uh, you know, and that has it, a
0: big emphasis on the actual 70 AD, right? It really
1: does. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. So yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, when you get spiritually attacked. Do you ever take it as a compliment that you must be doing good work for Jesus?
1: <laughs> well, I mean that's uh you know I, I do think that if you're not walking with the Lord and not on fire for the Lord and doing what the Lord wants, then Satan has no interest in you. so it is a it is an indication that somehow some way you're making a difference, but you know, you do have to be careful you don't want to take it like a, a badge of pride or something that you know, oh, look at me. And, and the other thing is we do have to be cautious not to assume that every negative consequence we face is a direct, you know, spiritual assault. Uh, you know, just sometimes bad things happen to good people because of the fallen world in which we live. You know, just because I had a flat tire doesn't mean Satan's attacking me. It might mean that I ran over a nail. Uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, but I, but I think, you know, as we You know, study this stuff more and really get into the word and try to be spiritually discerning. We can usually tell when something is is happening uh, that is probably uh, demonic in its origin, you know, discouraging. Uh, I, I write about this in all three of the books about each one when they came out. We faced serious issues that I have no doubt or the devil's attempt to slow us down and keep the message from getting out. Uh, you know, with Spirit of the Antichrist volume one, right after it came out, the first conference I did promoting it, I had a, an acute attack of appendicitis on stage, ended up in emergency surgery that night, uh, and ended up having complications and having to stay extra days. Uh, with volume two, I fell uh, and broke my uh, arm in the uh, icy driveway. Uh, you know things always happen but um but you're right your listener is correct that when we are confident those things are in fact direct attacks it's something that we should should not necessarily take pride in but rejoice as peter says that we are you know partakers of christ's sufferings
0: amen well here's an interesting question i'm they say, what are your thoughts about Rick Pearson's assertion that the U.S. is the seventh kingdom, Mystery Babylon? Well, I don't know the guy's name, yeah. so let's just take the question Is what are your thoughts about the odds that the U.S. is Mystery Babylon?
1: Yeah, I don't know that name either, but I'm very uh, familiar with the whole viewpoint. Um, I've talked about it a lot, done some presentations on it, and, and, and I have some good friends that hold that view. I don't hold that view. Um, here's my take on it. By the way, the reason they hold that is some of the descriptions do seem, you know, to fit some of the descriptions geographically and culturally and economically and so forth of America. But similarity does not equate to identity. And so um, I, I think, to me, uh, the, the mystery Babylon. Uh, is you know a literal rebuilt Babylon will be the headquarters of the beast system. Uh, I hold that view, like Charlie and, and and Andy Woods, but I think there's also a system that the the unholy trinity, the, the Satan, the the Antichrist, and the false prophet preside over for that seven years that transcends just one geographical place, and so. To my view is to the extent that the beast system is political, economic, and religious. I think the political or geographic headquarters is Babylon. The religious headquarters is Rome and the, the economic headquarters. If it were to happen today, if the say the rapture happens today in America, is still, you know, on life support, it's quite possible that New York city uh, could become kind of a beachhead for the financial center. Now, if the Lord Terry's is coming, it's very likely that America will collapse and some other uh, place in the world will will kind of become front and center. We've got the BRICS nations right now. Today, in fact, yeah, today's January 5th. We had the, the addition of the five new nations, and then there's a, a couple dozen that are lined up and applied to, to join on, on later this year. Uh, so who knows where the financial center will be? But I don't think that United States, in and of itself, is uh, Babylon. That's my view.
0: Do you think that um, that final beast empire has to have some kind of relatively close association with a reconstituted Roman Empire?
1: Yes, no question. Yeah. Yeah, but that Roman Empire, that's Daniel uh the, the statue, so Daniel uh two, right? Yeah toes. And so the, the original Roman Empire had an eastern and a western half, the revived Roman Empire will have an eastern and western half, but that could geographically could stretch pretty far and wide. I mean, you could have European nations that are yep. part of that, uh, as well as Eastern European nations and, and and who knows what. So
0: Middle Eastern, North African. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So uh no, I think that's that's also part of the, the you know, the system, but it's kind of like in, when when the president of the United States, you know, he's he lives in the White House. Right. He presides from the Oval Office. But wherever POTUS is, that's the seat of power. So he could be at Camp David or he could be on Air Force One. Uh, that's where it is. And I think the same thing's going to be true when the Antichrist rules the world. Yeah. Um, you know, he may have his office in Babylon, but he may spend a lot of time in Rome. Uh, which will be the religious center? I think there's really no, no argument there. Uh, you know, or, or you know, wherever the financial economic center is, uh, maybe it'll be Davos. I don't, I don't know. You never know.
0: Yeah, these kind of questions really will stretch your theological acumen and your imagination, and you really need to have both together.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: How can you tell the difference if you are experiencing a spiritual attack, divine discipline, or just an aspect of the fallen world?
1: Well, that's a great question. I've actually in our Not By Works chart book, which we sell uh, at our store, I have a chart on this type of thing. But the, the listener obviously has studied this because they've correctly kind of categorized it. You know, you've got just bad circumstances that, that happen. And the Lord is testing our faith through that and how we respond to these things. It's not that necessarily we're being disciplined and it's not that we're being attacked. It's just, you know, things happen. Right. Um, And so, you know, it's hard to tell. And at the end of the day, we may not know in a given circumstance what it is, but our reaction should still be the same, no matter what. Trust God. We walk by faith. We trust the Lord through it, whether this is something through no fault of our own just the fact that we live in a fallen world um, we could be victims um, you know of some injustice in this world we could be victims of a direct satanic attack uh, whatever it is our response should be the same and that is to 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 hang on to our faith to trust God to let him see you through it um, not all sickness is of the devil for example. That's right we know that for a fact. I mean, uh, you know, Paul uh, didn't rebuke Timothy when he had a stomach ache. He just said, take a little wine, you know, and Paul himself had a a thorn in the flesh that most scholars think was probably some kind of physical infirmity. So we can't say that all sickness is somehow how a, you know, an attack of the devil or a discipline of the Lord. Now, it is important to understand, uh, and this, I get into this in that chart book as well, that for believers, we need to be careful of the terminology we use. We are never facing punishment. That's right. We face discipline, but punishment is reserved for unbelievers, right? That's right. So God's never going to punish us, right? We've passed from death to life, shall never come into judgment, Jesus says. Paul said, There's now, therefore, no condemnation. So we may face discipline like a loving father. And it's it's a semantic thing, but it's and it's subtle, but it's important. Uh, so we don't punish our children. We discipline our children, that that kind of thing. So.
0: One thing I like to point out, too, is that as a general rule for my basic operating principle, <clears throat> I always take the simplest solution. And so when it comes to this, I am going to start with the assumption that everything that happens to me is just part of being in the generic fallen, cursed world with demonic activity in a thousand forms around me. And not go to a direct intentional spirit attack from a fallen being or direct divine discipline unless there's a reason that's apparent for me to go there. I'm, otherwise, you just get walking in fear like, oh, my, what did I do wrong? What am I thinking wrong? And, uh, and we don't want to be living in, in that uh, fear-based uh, environment.
1: <clears throat> yeah, I think that's very wisely. That's, that's well said.
0: If someone says they are saved but does not agree with once saved, always saved, are they really saved?
1: Wow, that's a great question. So, and uh, I've written and talked about this a lot, and I have an answer for it. Um, so, at the moment of faith, and 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 by the way, I you know, my PhD dissertation was on this subject of. Uh, of the gospel. So my book, getting the gospel wrong, the first book I wrote 20 years ago was, was, was that. So if you want more research and study on this to kind of study the issue for yourself, I would recommend taking a look at that. But at the moment of faith, by definition, a person must believe that Jesus gives them eternal life. That that's the essence of it. More than 160 times the new Testament conditions, eternal life upon faith alone. Faith by definition If you look it up, it's the Greek word pistis is the noun, pistuo is the verb. It's confidence or assurance. So you can't believe Jesus gives you eternal life and not really believe Jesus gives you eternal life at the same time. So at the moment of conversion, a person has to believe Jesus gives them eternal life. Subsequent to that, through false teaching, through doubts, through whatever people may Come to deny the doctrine of eternal security, and therefore no longer believe in once saved always saved, and you know they're still saved. But if you've never believed that Jesus gives you eternal life because you trusted in Him for it, then you're not saved. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that's that's a very clear answer. It, it, it's a tough question because as a young believer, I was saved into circles that believed in falling away, and if you believed in eternal security. That was heresy because you don't believe in holy living. And and it took me over a decade to process through the New Testament teaching and finally come to the conviction that there is eternal security. It says in John 10, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. In other words, if they try and jump out of the Father's hand, guess what? His yeah. hand is going to move faster than their jump.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Get done. <laughs> and and uh, it's a tremendous blessing. And also what's involved in this too. Um, You actually have better ground under eternal security to climb to the heights of devotion and holiness than you do under the ground of falling away. If you're on the ground of falling away, it's really difficult, if not impossible, to to go after a, a holy life and a devoted life apart from a, a mixture of a works mentality, a work spirit that always
1: leads to lower performance in the long run. Oh no doubt, there have been plenty of studies that have <laughs> uh, that have shown that um, uh, it's it's kind of an urban legend. I'm not sure if it's it's exactly accurate or not, but the story has it that when they were building the Golden Gate Bridge, at one point they suspended construction because so many workers had plummeted to their death. And so they suspended construction. They built this massive safety net underneath it and then resumed construction. And the story has it that at that point, from that point on, not a single worker fell because they were more confident when they had security than they were when they didn't have security. When you're confident, you perform better. So I think there's a lot of biblical... A theological evidence for that um, you know it's 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 going back to J- uh, John 1028 and, and you're the Greek expert uh, but I'm not if I'm not mistaken I think that's actually a double negative even in that passage in the original text which means it's literally like you shall know never perish or never ever ever perish is kind of kind of the idea it's very emphatic uh, very emphatic there in John 1028 so um, yeah I mean you you can't w- when you trust Christ for salvation, Biblically, and again, there's 160 passages that, that talk about faith alone, and I've got them in an appendix at the back of that getting the gospel wrong book. But you can't believe that Jesus possibly gives you eternal life or potentially gives you eternal life, or you know, you might give you you have to believe that he's given you eternal life. You're getting something. It's a, a giver and a gift and a receiver. What are you receiving? You're receiving positional righteousness and the you know eternal life. So if when you come to that moment, and, and I think a lot of people think they're saved and aren't because they've been taught wrong. They they walked an aisle, they signed a card, they raised a hand, they made a commitment, you know, they gave something to the Lord. I'm gonna to go to the altar and give everything to him. And God's like, that's great. What am I gonna do with all this sin-stricken stuff you're giving me? I don't want your stuff. I want you to receive from me the positional righteousness that the blood of Christ purchased. So there's one giver, one receiver. We're the receiver. God's the giver. And so I think there's a lot of people that go through some formulaic steps thinking they are now saved eternally, but they may not be. Um, But it's certainly the case, going back to the question, that people today who are saved uh, might doubt their salvation and, and not hold to the doctrine of eternal security because uh, they've been influenced by false teaching.
0: Yep. There's may God give us all wisdom and help and just trust the plain statements of scripture. Yes. Should we vote or no?
1: Again, I absolutely think we should vote. I don't think we should pretend to vote. So if you have reason to believe that your vote is legitimate, that the, the count is legitimate, they're not using digital uh, electronic uh, tabulation machines that can be tampered with from a 1,000 miles away by some 18-year-old whiz kid who's paid $1,000 by evildoers to make a few keystrokes and change the outcome. If you're confident in the, the sanctity of the system, you absolutely have a duty and a right to vote. But nobody should pretend to vote. Uh, that's a waste of, that's nonsensical and it's a waste of time and it's, it's just foolish and it doesn't qualify as redeeming the time. So I don't believe in pretend voting, but I absolutely believe in voting.
0: And, and my thoughts on that too is we have an obligation for a testimony of righteousness in this world. Um, which is why some people will, you know, they'll go to the local board meetings, school board meetings. They'll go to local town meetings and and stand up for righteousness. Even if they know it's a losing battle, they'll still go put in that testimony. And if in your exercise you think voting is part of your testimony, then everything else aside, make that part of your testimony but maintain your testimony for righteousness.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would nuance it a little bit differently. Uh, I mean, I agree with you. And certainly, let me clarify, at certain levels, I think votes absolutely do count. You yep. know, in many small jurisdictions and municipalities where they're still using traditional uh, ballots and so forth, absolutely, that's where you're going to make a difference. You know, vote for yeah. your sheriff, vote for your school board, that kind of thing. Um, but suppose... You you in a, in a national election, you walked up to the booth and you you stood in there and and, and whatever the mechanism was, we know it's all digital now, but let's yep. say that you hand them a paper vote. And then let's say you happen to notice as you're walking away that the person who took your vote walked out the other side of that little curtain area where you handed them the vote, crumpled it up and threw it in a fire. Yep now you've been, you've expo- it's been exposed. And, and, and would you then have a duty to continue to play the game and be made the fool of? I, I don't think you're, you're doing anything honorable in that case. You know, they have elections in North Korea and in Iran. They're all clearly state-run and state-controlled, and Christians there don't waste their time voting. They know that it's it's absurd. It's just it's made, being made the fool of. So I think it all comes down to each individual situation Uh, I don't uh, fault anybody for voting in presidential elections if you have never studied the issues of the day and understand how the systems are controlled and rigged by the Luciferians. If you don't know that, of course, uh, I voted for years. I was very politically involved until I came to understand uh, the facts of the matter. But there's nothing uh, honorable about perpetuating a lie once you know it's a lie. So it is honorable to make a difference where you can make a difference. And if you can make a difference, and we still can in some places, uh, local elections and so forth, we have a duty to do that. But that's what I mean by pretend voting. Uh, and until such time as a person has become aware of or convinced of, of the system, they, they should vote. That's just the honorable thing to do. Uh, but once you've seen behind the curtain then I think it, it transfers into pretend voting, and I, I don't have time for that personally.
0: It's probably worthwhile to point out too that once the Lord Jesus comes back to earth and sets up his kingdom, <laughs> there will never be another election again.
1: Never be uh, hallelujah. That'll be that it's all appointments. Good,
0: yeah, every appointment he makes will be the best person for that situation, for that job, for that part of government, yep. for and that place that. in the in the administration.
1: Yep, no injustice, no perfect <clears throat> righteousness. It'll all run smoothly. So,
0: All right, here's an interesting question. In John 6, eating his flesh and drinking his blood is symbolic. When Jesus says these words are spirit and truth, doesn't that phrase mean these words are to be taken metaphorical? Now, I'm not exactly sure what the question is going after because they've already said it's symbolic. Yeah, and are they thinking that metaphorical is like another step beyond symbolic?
1: I, I take them to probably be addressing the the Roman Catholic view of uh, transubstantiation and so forth. Okay, but I think they're sort of answering, tipping their hand that they 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 already have the correct answer. But absolutely, in John six, it's a long running metaphor, but it's very clear by the time you get to the end that that all of that eating and drinking is a metaphor for. Uh, belief, right? Amen. Uh, he says in verse 35, he who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So it's it's very clear that this is a reference to uh, belief. He's just using a metaphor uh, and there's nothing mystical about the body and, and blood of Christ.
0: And the communion is a typology of faith. Yeah. In the, in the Lord Jesus.
1: Yeah, he goes on in verse 47, one of the simplest statements of the gospel in all the Bible, one of those 160 that I talked about. Most assuredly, the old King James says, verily, verily, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. So it's clearly a metaphor uh, for believing. Yep, you
0: can believe in the Lord Jesus and never partake of communion. And you can partake of communion and never believe in Jesus.
1: That's right. Well said. Yep. So
0: how do you test the spirits?
1: Yeah, 1 John 4, 1, that's a theme verse or foundational verse for my latest book of Spirit of the False Prophet. Um, Obviously, it starts with the Word of God any spirit that is contrary to the plain teaching of the word of God is not of the Lord. God's not going to contradict himself. Uh, And so that's what the audience in John's day was dealing with was false teachers about Christ, uh, early Gnosticism and some of those things. Uh, So I think the same thing is true today. You know, the Bible will shed a lot of light on all of the controversies that we deal with uh, theologically. Most people think of discernment as this mystical sort of, psychological concept, like if you get goosebumps, it means one thing, if you don't, it means another. Uh, Well, let's start with the empirical. Let's start with what we know as fact, the plain, normal teaching of God's Word. Um, I'm on uh, Worldview Matters program next Thursday with David Fiorazzo, and we already taped the program, but I talked about the importance of believers staying in the word of God and correctly handling the word of God uh, in these great last days. So it starts with the word of God. And then I would think uh, counselors, you know, getting wisdom, there's wisdom of God, but there's wisdom that comes from experience and from mankind And the same way we discern the will of God and make decisions in, in life applies to discerning whether a spirit is, uh, you know, true or false. And so I would say, there are people who, because they're well-studied and, 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 and really have a solid biblical worldview, are more easily able to pick up on uh, you know, falsehoods and, and deceit um, in the same way that uh, the Secret Service, which is tasked with handling forgeries uh, and, and counterfeit money, uh, they train by becoming so familiar with the real bills that they can spot a counterfeit. Instantly, and so I think there are some people in the discernment world that, you know, have have that level of discernment. Um, but it, it's it's got to be tied to the Word of God. You can't take advice from someone or arrive at a conclusion, uh, no matter how emotional or how firm you may feel it, if it contradicts the Word of God.
0: Amen. I got a couple little things I would add to that. One is, I live by a principle of discounting my emotions mm. um if i'm if i find myself feeling particularly euphoric i just know by 40 years of experience that i'm probably um it, it's gonna wear off it's not gonna last it enjoy it while it lasts but it won't last and and if i'm feeling particular spiritual it's just not true <laughs> um, the other way around, if I'm feeling particularly gloomy, I just stop. I check myself. This is dumb. We've been down this path before. Your fears are 10 times worse than reality. Um, just don't bank on your fears. Just bank on facts. <laughs> and, and primarily the plain statements of Scripture but also the facts of history are useful and the facts of grammar are useful.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, emotion also makes you more susceptible to deception. Yes. because You know, emotions can be wrong, you know, uh, you know, it's like, and then the elite know that the Luciferians know that they love to play on our emotions. They use fear. For example, people I, I have crazy things when they're afraid.
0: And I've, May notice the strong connection between the leading of the deceiving spirits and feelings and emotions and experiences. Mm. You know, the, the essence of true spirituality is using your God given reason on the God given revelation. That's the essence of spirituality. And every power and principality that would move you away from the Word of God is going to go after your emotions. Your feelings and your experiences. Yeah, that's that's one of the biggest difficulties that we face. Uh, is is just standing on the facts of Scripture at all costs?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think that's right. Well said.
0: Well, I'm not sure what this is talking about. Maybe you would recognize it. It says, do the inaudible sounds and in 666s in Leave the World Behind really have spiritual or negative effects on us? Is Leave the World Behind, what are they talking about, a video, a movie? Oh, uh, yeah, that's
1: the, that's the Obama movie that, that came out on Netflix. Uh, okay. Fascinating fascinating movie. I think it's all about predictive programming. There's a lot of interesting stuff that comes out of it. Um, but I'm not familiar with, oh, the inaudible sounds. Yeah, that, that was a big part of it. I think that was just Havana syndrome, uh, same type of stuff we've seen over there. That's been well documented. And uh, it's just sound weapons, sound cannons, where they use a frequency that absolutely just is excruciatingly painful. Uh, several, But people- it's beyond the audible spectrum? Correct. Correct. Wow. Yeah. And there, there, this was, if you go back and, and, and check it out, there've been all kinds of news stories about it and documentaries about it. But several years ago, uh, people in the uh, embassy. Yeah, uh, I did read about that. Yep. Havana were experiencing it. And and so, and it followed them. That's what's really weird. So they were literally being attacked. Um, but what was the crux of the question again?
0: Well, just wondering if the, the inaudible sounds in the 666s had spiritual effects or negative effects on believers.
1: I don't understand what they mean by the 666s. I don't either. Yeah. I mean,
0: I now that you mentioned the inaudible sounds, now I know what they're talking about, but maybe they're talking about um, they're just kind of hidden like Easter eggs. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I understand the reference to the movie, but I don't understand that. Sorry.
0: Why would Satan go along with end times prophecies? Um like a, like raising the Antichrist and assembling the armies for Armageddon.
1: Yeah, so um, I have an answer to that. I, I've been asked that often. Some people will tell you that Satan uh, just he, he knows he's defeated and he's just trying to take down as many people as he can. so he's just, you know, just kind of like a kamikaze. Yep. I don't think so for a second. I think Satan is self-deceived, which as I mentioned is the worst kind of deception. Yep. I think he knows Bible prophecy. He knows the Bible better than most Christians. He just doesn't believe it. He doesn't think, even though the Bible says God's going to win, he doesn't believe it. He thinks that he can win. He thought he he won the moment, you know, Eve ate the apple, the proverbial apple. He thought he won the moment Jesus died on the cross. And even though he resurrected you know, Satan just views that as a setback. He just really thinks he can win. And so I believe he's, he's, uh, he's not going along with Bible prophecy in the sense of obeying it or following a script. He's, he's doing what he thinks he needs to do uh, to win. And he's almost thinking I'll show God how this is going to have a different ending than what he thinks.
0: You know? Yep. Yeah, I, I've, Myself, I'm the same way. I think he thinks he can win. Even if he's thinking it's a long shot, he thinks he can pull it off. He's just got to find the right chink in the armor, just the right technique, and he's just going to keep pressing on, thinking he can win.
1: Yeah, totally. Yep.
0: But Now, the interesting thought is, the thought that this person expressed was, but if he just refused to raise up the Antichrist, wouldn't he thwart God's prophecy?
1: No. Of course not. We we know the answer to that because nothing can contravene God's sovereign plan. Yeah. Uh, you know, so he he may tr- even if he wanted to not raise up the antichrist, he couldn't do it. You know, that's because God spelled it out. Yep.
0: Yep, he rules in the kingdom of men. Hmm. Do you think we will see giants in the end days or other supernatural creatures?
1: Well, we may have already seen them. I mean, we've yeah. seen several examples, uh, and there have been all kinds of researchers that have found uh, skeletal remains, and, uh, you know, it's a big world, and even though we've conquered a lot of it, there are still places that, you know, are pretty remote. And so um, if you believe, as I do, that these giants are uh, hybrid evil spirits that can shapeshift, um, you know, back and forth between materialistic realm and the, the spiritual realm... Uh, then I think uh, you know, we're going to see plenty of them, and we already have. And we know that in the biblical record we've seen them, and there's no reason to think uh, that we won't see them now. And my working premise, and I think I, can, I back this up in the books, is that the closer we get to the end times, the more of a proliferation of this kind of thing we're going to see.
0: Amen. I agree. Who are the 24 elders? in the book of Revelation.
1: I take it as, as the church, is that your view?
0: Yes, I do. Yes. The representatives of the 24 courses of the church priesthood.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, uh, you're really straining my detailed uh, aspect now, uh, but I several, several things lead us to believe that. For one thing, they already seem to have been rewarded and the only ones that have been rewarded at that point are the church. That's uh, right. Um, And then they can't be angels because angels are mentioned later in that same passage that is distinguished from the 24 elders. So I think the best evidence leads to 24 elders being the church. But that would be one of those areas like we talked about earlier where, you know, you're not going to die on that hill.
0: No, I do enjoy it, though. It's one of my favorite pre-trib
1: rapture arguments. Oh, it is. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Because they're they're the only ones that fit the the, uh, characteristics, right?
0: Yep, yep. When you have they're they're bought by the blood of Christ, so they can't be angels. Right. Um, they're in the tribulation, um, so they can't be the the post tribulation saints because they're they're in heaven during the tribulation. Right. And you mentioned they're already rewarded. They're wearing their Stephanos crowns yep. and they're seated on thrones, so yep. they're obviously rewarded, which implies they're already
1: resurrected. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Okay, here's an interesting question. This is right up your alley, bro. Were some of the founding fathers, like Washington and Jefferson, etc., were they Masons, who were aware of what they were involved in?
1: Washington, absolutely. There's there's zero uh, argument against him that he was <clears throat> he was absolutely a Mason. We have no question about it. he was active practicing. He knows it. Uh, I have a whole chapter on this. I'm not trying to sell books here, but I, I just, you know, when and Lee knows this as well from all of his writing and research, when you've spent so much time researching and writing and documenting, you know, and you get a question where you're going to give a two minute answer to you, you want people to know, hey, there's more to this if you want to study it. Absolutely. But, but absolutely. The, the Satan's hands were all over the founding of this country. God's hands were all over the founding of this country. And I address both of those in, uh, in the book. But many of the founding fathers were uh, sent over here uh, by the Luciferian elite, uh, which was uh, embodied in Freemasonry over in Europe, uh, for the purpose of creating a beachhead for the New World Order. That's why they called it the New World. And they came over here thinking they could take control of this new geographic region and from it continued their uh, agenda of taking over the world. The problem is by the time that happened in the mid to late 18th century, God-fearing believers and Puritans had already been here for 120 years. And they came over in, you know, what the early to mid 17th century. And so they had quite a head start. So that's where God's fingerprints are all over the founding of this country. And um, many of the founding fathers, uh, you know, were patriotic. They, on a secular level, understood the the, uh, problems with a theocracy and they wanted a better form of government. And we agree that a democratic republic is a better form of government, but that does not mean uh, they weren't also uh, uh, helping to advance a Luciferian agenda. Some of them willingly and knowingly, some of them unwittingly and unknowingly. Uh, Some of the founding fathers were Christians, true believers. Many of them were not. Certainly, uh, Jefferson was not a believer. We, we know that for a fact. He, he literally called the teachings of Christ uh, dung, uh, compared it to a dunghill. The Jefferson Bible, which I've seen, you can go to the Jefferson Museum and see it in a glass case. He literally cut out all the teachings of Christ. So his Bible has all these missing sections that were cut out of the pages. So uh, we have no reason to think from his own writings, even though he was, all of the founding fathers lived and functioned in an environment that was very faith based. That, that you know, Even unbelievers understood providence and nature and those types of things. And so they would use language along those lines. But we have nothing that indicates there ever was a time in his life when he placed his faith in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation, which is the one and only requirement for salvation. Uh, so. You know, he, he may have been, uh, you know, a good politician and had some good principles. And we like a lot of what he said in terms of liberty and freedom and patriotism and democracy. Um, but, uh, you know, he definitely was not, uh, not a believer.
0: Okay. Will the rapture save us from all this evil?
1: um i mean we hope so right we we galatians 1 4 he's going to rescue us from this present evil age how evil will it be by the time that happens we don't know and let's also not forget that you know for two thousand years of church history our brothers and sisters in christ have faced unspeakable horrors and persecution and martyrdom uh, and torture all across the globe so we've been blessed as americans to be sheltered from most of that um but we're not entitled to, to miss it. Uh, You know, the rapture doesn't rescue us before things get bad. It rescues us from the great day of the Lord's wrath, the seven year tribulation period. That's the only promise in scripture. So we know we won't have to face the wrath of God, but we could very well face some pretty difficult times uh, if that's the Lord's will.
0: Yep. I mean, and we wouldn't have any business complaining if we here in the West experience the taste of what they've been feeling in China, Iran, North Korea.
1: Yeah. Amen. Yeah.
0: Will born again believers see UFOs, aliens, and greys before we're raptured?
1: Many of them have. Yeah. I wonder if they mean like en masse Uh, at the moment of the rapture, will we see that? Who who knows? But no, absolutely. A lot of believers have seen uh, UFOs and, and aliens. Uh, Aliens, we believe biblically are, uh, you know, demonic dimensional spirits, not little green men from Mars. Um, But uh, if you mean, you know, will we see some kind of massive global disclosure before the rapture? I have a hard time seeing that. Um, But but we might, I mean, it just depends on how much of the spiritual battle that we started the night talking about materializes before the rapture versus after, you
0: know? Well, it's interesting on this question, I told you earlier, uh, I, I just, I didn't give you the whole story, but I gave you a little bit about a Bigfoot experience I had when I was a kid, but I also, maybe I should do a video sometime, um, on, on an experience I had. It was, it was, um. Involving UFOs, it was it was uh, very bizarre. Um, I started telling Marzuli once about a dream that I had. Uh, that was the most vivid dream I've ever had, uh, uh, by far. Hmm. And um, and I barely got going, and he started telling me where the dream was going to go and what was going to happen. He says, "I've heard this story a hundred times."
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've had some experiences uh, that that I've not told people. And I think someone in the chat there said, you know, a lot of people have had experiences and just not told anybody. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, who knows? I think we're we're going to begin to see a whole new reality as time goes on. If the Lord tarries is coming.
0: What do you think about the principalities of Persia and Greece? Um, are they possibly involved in the Israel-Gaza war?
1: If they mean literally the, the principalities, the territorial spirits, um, it wouldn't surprise me a bit. I don't know that we have any way to know that for sure. <clears throat> if they're asking about politically as Iran Involved, I think we know that already from some yep, of the yep. intercepted calls and, and and intelligence, military intelligence. There's no doubt that Iran's been funding Hezbollah and and Hamas as well. So, uh, yeah, I think that high likelihood.
0: Hmm. Do you think during the tribulation, people will be used to seeing creatures? Uh, because they don't seem to be afraid of the angel who's flying around and warning them not to take the mark.
1: Well, we don't know if they're afraid or not. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. What is that, Revelation 14, I think, Uh, maybe 15. Um, I mean, that's an argument from silence. Um, But I think it brings up a very interesting question. As time goes on, I think all of us in the Bible, all Bible students are kind of shifting their views on possible uh, interpretations of different passages based on what is now a possible, right? I mean, there was a time when no one could conceive of a 200 million man army. There was a time when no one conceive, could conceive of everyone on the earth seeing the resurrection of the two witnesses, for example. Yep. Uh, but now we, we, we know those things are routine, frankly. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, I, I think um, there's a very good chance I've actually thought about that specific question about people interacting with, you know, embodied AIs and and even demonic spirits and uh, shape-shifting skinwalkers and things like that. Uh, I think there's a very high likelihood that that will be more of the norm. uh, Like a lot of the Hollywood movies are presenting uh, today, you know, with with these
0: odd beings that come to aid human beings.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The movie, the creator was just out a few months ago. We saw it, and it was just, you know, side by side, AI living with, you know, human, actual humans. And and they knew what was what, you could tell, but uh, they looked similar, but you knew what was what. And you just taught them, you know, treated them like they were one of your own. So I think it's very possible that that kind of thing will become commonplace. Uh, but, you know, so much of, of what we now know really changes not so much our interpretation of Scripture, but because that there's one interpretation, singular meaning, and it you know uh, doesn't change with time. But how these prophecies might g- uh, achieve fulfillment, uh, we take on different uh, pro- uh, possibilities as we have more capabilities. So, for example, you know some people have speculated that, uh, whereas for years we dispensationalists have all taught that you know, the rapture, and I've taught this, uh, that the rapture is going to cause mass chaos on the earth with the sudden disappearance of these millions of people. Well, maybe by the time it happens, with alien disclosure and all the the lies that are being told about that, people will not necessarily panic in terms of uh, being confused, but they will just assume, oh yeah, this was just another abduction, you know, mass abduction. Uh, Or maybe with AI. I'm just totally speculating here, but maybe with AI and all the talk now about uh, transhumanists living forever and creating, you can download all of your data about your loved one's life, everything they've ever written, said, typed, texted, whatever, uh, and create an embodied AI that looks just like them, acts like them, has the same personality as them, has the same belief system as them, and you wouldn't know it's any different. Maybe by the time the rapture happens, there's so much of that going on that no one will even notice that people have disappeared. Not to mention the fact that, you know, the way the church looks today, I'm not so convinced there's going to be a massive number of people caught up in the church. I mean, who knows, but it just seems like the number of believers is at an all time low as a percentage of the world population. So I, you know, I think there's, those are the kinds of speculative questions that, you know, are fun to think about, uh, but we really can't say for sure.
0: Yeah, I know some people think that America will be gutted and decimated like our army and our government and everything when the the born-again Christians go up in the rapture. And I look at the same circumstances and I'd say I would be shocked if 5% went up. Yeah. You know, I think it might be less. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to decimate this country. Um,
1: yeah, that's what, you know, dispensations have traditionally uh, taught and speculated about is that since America is not in in bible prophecy at least explicitly any nation from this area uh, notwithstanding those who think Babylon is America I just don't I don't get there scripturally uh, people have all always taught that the rapture is going to be what brings America down that it's there's so many Christians here that it devastates this country and that's why we're gone yeah I think we could be long gone well before the rapture we're, we're on life support as as we speak but um, but I'm with you. I mean, especially in places like the military. I mean, not not to say there aren't good God-fearing men and women who know the Lord and love the Lord and are born again in the military. Of course there are, and there are in every element. There are in government. I mean, there might even be a born-again con- congressman or senator. I mean, maybe, possibly, I, I don't know. Um, but I think, you know, if the rapture happened, it would not have a profound impact on on the military personally. I mean, they're all going to be too busy, you know, heading to the closet to find their dress and high heels. You know, these, these male generals.
0: Yep. When I was in the Ranger battalion back in the early eighties, we, I knew five or six for sure. Solid Christians Mm. uh, in the entire battalion. That's, you know, all four companies, uh, alpha company, Bravo company, Charlie company, uh, and headquarters company, and uh, that that was it. So, the, and and there, if there was ten real believers there, that were that were living, that would have been high.
1: Yeah, yeah. We don't know. We don't know.
0: Um, I'm not sure who the they is. I think it might be either the the deep state or the creatures themselves, but. Do they hold back on all the odd creatures because maybe they want them suddenly to show up in the tribulation claiming to help?
1: Well, yeah, it's hard to know what the antecedent of they is. If they mean the Luciferian elite or as some people call the deep state, um, I don't think they have any control over it. They don't control these creatures. Yeah. Uh, they're scared out of their mind about them that's why the space force was started i've talked to people a person at the space force who admitted to me the primary reason was all this was before the the 2017 uh you know new york times article that broke the story wide open that we've been studying ufos for 70 years uh in light about it um this guy said, no, the main reason Trump started the space force is there's things happening in in the uh, you know in this in space that we can't control that have no earthly explanation and we need to begin preparing a defense against some kind of a space invasion so um, so I don't think they have any control over it um, whether Satan is maybe holding back some of it you know it could be part of his strategy uh, you know I don't know they're not running you know, Rough shot. I think there is some agenda here in the dark realm for why they're doing what they're doing.
0: Yeah, and there's probably a few variables involved. I think one of the variables is that with the presence of the church here, there's a lot of light that's influencing the people that the church touches. With and I think there's also the element of the restrainer. The they can't be loosed like a bomb in the world until God has removed his restraining influence, which is focused on the church, not limited to it, but focused on it. Um, And so there's variables like that, as well as the fact that the satanic realm or the dark realm has been adjusting how they present themselves to mankind for many, many years. I mean, historically they appeared like witches and warlocks and the little people, and then it wasn't up until just shortly prior to World War II that they started morphing into uh, manifesting themselves in the greys and in the Martians and in that sort of thing. So they adjust themselves to where man is at and how they come to the intellectuals in the university is different than how they come to people that are steeped in religion. But they are slowly pushing the whole of society into a place where they have the whole of society ready for full um, disclosure.
1: Yeah, totally agree. And that, that gets into what I talked about in my chapter on paranormal, <clears throat> all kinds of bizarre manifestations of evil spirit, black eyed kids. I talk about that slender man, all of these weird Wolfman, chupacabras. You've got just different weird uh, cryptids that I believe are all demonic Uh, And it depends on the culture and the circumstance as to, you know, what Satan might use to lead someone astray.
0: Do we as the church not have a covenant with Christ?
1: Um, Depends what you mean by covenant in a little c sense, you know. Absolutely, there's an unconditional promise that if you place your faith in me, you have eternal life and will never perish, right? You have eternal salvation. Um, I'm trying to think, help me out here, Lee. Is there a, a biblical covenant outlined, you know, defined in scripture that is well, the, uses that term? Well, here, where I
0: go with this whole thing is I always just fall back in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed right, right so he here's here's the messiah the the lord jesus um the promise of the messiah um and th- the promise of the salvation of the gentiles in the messiah actually precedes the giving of the new covenant uh promises to the israel through the later prophets and so Regardless of how we technically associate the church or not associate the church with the new covenant, there's no way around the fact the Bible clearly teaches that we are saved by the work of the Messiah on, on the cross um, as the redeemer of mankind. Um, no matter whether we think we get this is a, a bleed off from the new covenant or or if we think that we're um an aspect of the covenant or if we or if we are of the mindset that the covenant applies has one part for the church and one part for Israel, no matter how we slice it, the church is going to be saved by the Messiah of the new covenant.
1: Yeah. I mean, covenant by definition has two parties yep. and there's a difference between who might benefit from the results of the covenant and who is a party to the covenant. That's and exactly Genesis, right. Genesis 12, it's quite clear that Abraham and, and, and in the subsequent reaffirmations of that covenant with Isaac and Jacob and so forth, and then on down through the prophets, uh, that that covenant is made with Israel. Uh, but the part of that covenant, that prom- that unconditional promise to Abraham, as you just said, is that all nations will be blessed through that seed. So um, I just I tend to think more, you know, rigidly and in, 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 in technically maybe, and I was just trying to think, I don't think the term covenant is used explicitly, uh, you know, with the church. Now remember for 1800 years and all through the dark ages, the church was taught that they are the new covenant. That's why we call it the old Testament and the new Testament. And we're still shedding those grave clothes. We are still shedding those grave clothes. And so that's why when dispensationalists started, you know, reading the Bible again and, and, and studying it and looking at it in its plain, normal sense. And they, you know, came up with the reality that the church is not part of the new covenant as spelled out in the old Testament. Uh, then, then, then you, uh, you know, then you you really were met with quite a bit of reaction to people who, who who heard that. So to me, the easiest way to understand it, I think you said it exactly right. We're all ultimately blessed in the kingdom, and it's God's blessing, and it pre, the, the promise of the proteevangelium in Genesis 3.15 predates all of God's plan as revealed in the progress of Revelation. And when we get into the kingdom and the eternal state, Although we will retain our identity of the church, Israel, and Gentiles, uh, we're all going to be blessed, and, and 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 there's no you know difference in the blessing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, it, I would just encourage people to understand that as Paul describes quite clearly in Ephesians one and Ephesians three, the church is a new. Uh, it's a mystery, something previously undisclosed and there are purposes of the church. It has a sudden beginning in Acts 2 and it has a sudden ending with the rapture and all of that is a foreshadowing of the glory that's to come and what the church experiences in the incredible blessings of the permanent dwelling of the Spirit and the unmitigated access to God boldly approaching the throne of God. All of that is a foreshadowing uh, to get Israel's attention of what will be true, not just for Israel but globally, when Christ takes the throne.
0: Amen. What are your thoughts on China's Year of the Dragon being 2024?
1: <laughs> it's one of those uh, things. I think I mentioned it in that in my chapter mm-hmm. on the Luciferian timetable that just kind of gets your attention and adds one more piece of potential information to the puzzle. Um, I don't think we can say with any certainty that there's prophetic implications of that, but it wouldn't surprise me. What, What we do know is that the Luciferian elite that have been, you know, working at the behest of Satan to bring down America and usher in a one world system have been talking about 2025 in particular and this decade in general for at least 100 years. And so... Uh, doesn't mean they're right. doesn't mean God's going to allow it to happen because he's the ultimate one in charge of the, the calendar. But that's what their plan is. And it's also important to understand that, as I said earlier, the Luciferian agenda is not monolithic. There are competing facets and factions within it. Amen.
0: It's, oh, that's so true.
1: China, Russia, they they have different agendas. Uh, you know, North Korea is a rogue element. It's not like they're all They're playing in king together. of the hill. They're playing king of the hill. Now, there is, as I diagrammed and showed earlier, a top-tier Luciferian elite that do consider themselves the rulers, uh, the chess masters, if you will, of the playing board. Yep. But they are no more in control of these rogue elements than, you know, like Putin, for example. I mean, they all have competing agendas, and that's what makes it so hard to accurately predict what the Luciferian's next move is, is that things could happen that surprise even them that are bad I mean it's not it's just as simple as black and white so you know that's kind of what I what keeps me awake at night uh, even though my faith is in the Lord is just knowing that one Luciferian could get mad at another Luciferian and go off script and do something unexpected and and it's pretty bad when these people have like nuclear warheads and biological weapons and stuff so you know I, I don't think it's it's uh I think like you said they're playing King of the hill well said
0: how do you know if you have grieved the Holy Spirit I never hear from him
1: hmm well um, that's you know that's sad to 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 hear because the Holy Spirit uh, has many ministries that are vital and, and pervasive in our life every day. Things like encouraging, convicting, leading, guiding, assuring, um, so many ministries of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, you know, if if you've quenched the Spirit so that you, you've you kind of put so many layers over your heart that you, you can't even hear Him anymore, uh, then that's a matter of, you know, repentance and and really confessing that to the Lord and trying to, to kind of start fresh. Um, um, I think you know when you have grieved the Spirit when your attitudes and actions are not conforming with the new nature. And
0: yeah.
1: unfortunately, some people do go so far. I'm not suggesting that this person you asked the question is in that camp. Uh, I think they're just saying, hey, I never hear an audible voice and how, how do I know if I hear the Holy Spirit? But there are people, believers even, that can go so far in, in their conscious, volitional, willful rejection of God's way that it's hard to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit at that point.
0: Yep. I, I always encourage people, your primary concern is to hear the word of God mm. and the work of the Holy Spirit is to point people to Jesus and to point people to the word of God and instruct them in those two things. He yes. does not testify of himself. And so there's influences that come out of some of the charismatic and Pentecostal circles that get people kind of worked up and agitated. Like, you know, I I don't got anything special with the Holy spirit going on. We need to be careful that we're not looking for emotions or experiences or sensations that we don't necessarily have to have.
1: Right. Um,
0: You need to have the word of God illuminating your heart. Now, If you really focus on the Word of God, and you're not trying to have feelings and hearings and emotional experiences uh, from the Holy Spirit, you're probably going to be in a place where you're more likely to actually
1: t- hear them. Yeah, yeah no, w- well said. I mean, the, the Holy Spirit's role yeah. is to illumine the living written Word and lead us to the living incarnate Word, and and that's uh, it all starts with that.
0: Now, I, I, maybe this isn't a great place to share it, but I'll just do a, a brief version of it. Years ago, when I had left um, uh, some extreme charismatic circles that I had been involved in and uh, had rejected it as, as wrong in principle and wrong in practice, and yet not all of my charismatic thinking had left me. And I remember I'm in a solid Bible-believing, fundamentalist-type church, and yet I'm sitting at my desk studying. This is in the mid-'80s, or late-'80s, actually. And from time to time, I would have these powerful sensations that I would feel. I mean, it was it was beyond a feeling. My whole body would just start to—just uh, like light came down on my whole body. My whole body would get warm. My whole body, head to toe, would get the tinglys. I would be like an emotional high. and and But when that happened, a verse would almost jump off the page <laughs> and it would just explode with light into my mind. And I'd had this happen over and over again for years on a fairly regular basis. But on this particular day, when this happened, I caught myself and I said, hey, listen, Sometimes when this happens, the thing is true. The understanding is true. Sometimes when this happens, there's other verses that ultimately say this understanding can't be true. So I tell you what I'm going to do I'm going to take this revelation, I'm going to put it on the back burner in the stew pot, I'm just going to let it simmer. And if the scriptures authenticate it, then I'll say amen and I'll embrace it. Mm. And if the scripture says this is false, then I'm going to throw it away as garbage. And normally this sensation would last for minutes, 10, 15, 20 minutes. It would just slowly fade away. And this time, soon as I did that, it stopped just just like on a dime. And it never, ever came back.
1: Hmm. So that's an indication it probably wasn't of the Lord.
0: I, I think it was a lying spirit pretending to be the Holy Spirit and working on a gullible believer who decided I'm not going to be gullible anymore.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's like we said, you've got to run everything through the grid of scripture and uh, wow, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah.
0: Might the world be told the Antichrist is an alien who has come to fix the world.
1: Might be, I suppose. Um, There are people in our a dispensational camp who think the Antichrist will be a Nephilim, you know, a hybrid. Yes. Is that your view as well or no?
0: Well, what's interesting to me is when you look at the Genesis 315, it's the seed of the serpent versus the seed of the woman. Yeah. That implies um, that there has to be some correlation between the incarnation of the Messiah and the incarnation of the serpent. Yeah, and that kind of takes you down the Nephilim path. Doesn't necessarily tell us which part of the Nephilim path it might be on, but it does seem to go that way. Yeah. But I'm—that's a study that I'm still in the process of enga- being engaged in.
1: Yeah, I was first exposed to that concept. Uh, that's what I love about theology, by the way. It's a lifelong pursuit. You can study the passages a thousand times and then read it a thousand and first time and see something that, or bring up a question that you'd never thought about before. And that was, I was just exposed to this whole concept over the last couple of years. And it's really intriguing to me. Um, and, and it's, it's, you know, Genesis three we've always known and it's, it's sort of theology one-on-one is the first inkling of the good news, the gospel you on get But, it makes sense then that it's also the first inkling of the bad news and therefore all of God's plan of the ages and the Bible prophecy really needs to be seen through the lens of Genesis 3:15. It sets the tone, if you will. And uh, so I, I think it's, it's, it's hard. I've asked a lot of people about this ever since I started thinking about it. What is the seed of the serpent? Yeah. And I get the same response from most of my longtime colleagues they, that, that I had when I first thought about it, they look at me like, Hmm, well, never really thought about it. I guess it was just a, a metaphor for, you know, for for Satan. But but there's a, I mean, words mean things, and so, the Nephilim concept of the Antichrist being the final Nephilim, as uh, Ryan Peterson suggests, uh, fits the word-for-word biblical data better than anything else. So,
0: yeah, but, I do suspect that the Antichrist is going to have in his human lineage some genetic material from the nephilim line cuz i wouldn't be surprised if the if the the small group of families the, the 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 elite if there still isn't vestiges of the nephilim dna in their line
1: oh i'm certain there is that's is. the whole Bloodlines of the Illuminati, Uh, Fritz Springmeier was the name I was trying to think of earlier. And he also wrote the book World uh, Worldwide Evil. And and, uh, uh, I'm looking at it across my ship But Worldwide Evil and Misery. But Bloodlines of the Illuminati is his seminal work, uh, just huge book. And it traces these bloodlines of these Luciferians all the way back. So I have no doubt that the people at that top level are all not, you know, not fully human. Uh, I think they're, you know, have that, that vestiges, as you said. Um, what's interesting is there's nothing theologically that is impacted by whether you take the view the Antichrist is fully human or whether he's a hybrid, because the Jesus said the lake of fire, which we know the Antichrist gets thrown into the lake of fire, is yeah. prepared for the devil and his angels. That's right. So, I mean, it it really it doesn't shatter my theology one way or the other. I think uh, now there there are some passages I'm wrestling with that seem to speak in terms, especially Old Testament, speak in terms of the Antichrist as a man. Yes,
0: but,
1: you know th- that. What else would you call a hybrid? Right.
0: Yeah. Well, I to me, you can't. He's just like the Messiah has to be fully God and fully human. Yeah. In a similar way, the Antichrist is going to have to be. Partially serpent and partially
1: human. It's- That's a great point. Son of man, Jesus is called a man many times. Yet we know yep. he's also divine. Yeah, you know, just because the text calls the Antichrist a man, doesn't mean he has to be fully human.
0: Now here's another interesting thing. I think the one who's going to be the alien is going to be Satan himself, and some of his henchmen that come down with him, because I think what's going to happen is in their revelation to, to the world that they are the seed masters who started the evolutionary process here on earth. And now we have a human being, the antichrist who's the first human being, if not in the entire history of the world, the first one since maybe Nimrod to, to reach ascended master status. And, and so, you know, they will be worshiping Satan and the antichrist. It's going to be very fascinating really to sit up in heaven Watching all this unfold while we're drinking Heaven Bucks coffee, and see where we got it right and where we didn't get it right.
1: Yeah, yeah assuming we can watch it. I mean, uh, yeah. God, God may allow us that that privilege, but we're not going to suddenly have bionic eyes just because we go to heaven. You know. No, I think we'll be
0: watching it on uh, big screen TV. Ooh, that'd,
1: that'd be great. That'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, this is such a fascinating subject, though. Uh, oh, here's an interesting question. What are your thoughts on major on the majors and minor on the minors? Who determines what's major?
1: Yeah. Another common phrase is, uh, uh, you know, uh, agree to gris- agree to disagree or, you know, what's the essentials and non-essentials? Yeah. All of those things are very postmodern in their delineations. And, and your, your listener is mm-hmm. right. Or the questioner is right who determines what's major and what's minor, right? Yeah. I uh, mean, you know, to the LGBT church down the road, you know, sexual identity and gender identity and all that is, is not a big deal. Uh, why We don't care. Let's not yeah. focus on that. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I've, I've reacted to some of those statements uh, before, and I think that's what the listener's getting at.
0: Yeah. I know for myself, I know on a basis of principle there is such a thing as okay this is not a salvation doctrine um so maybe if we're gonna have a conversation let's keep it civil and we're you know we're not gonna fight over this one but the fact is more often than not when i have people bring this to my attention it comes in this way someone goes does a high speed video teach something really cool and I respond and think that it's not right. And so I challenge it and I correct it. And I say, okay, you throw out, you, you want to have, uh, it challenges to be Bereans. So, okay, I do my Berean part. You did your part. And now let's let the people weigh it. But when I respond, then I'm accused of, why do you want it to bring up a fight? Why this is not a salvation doctrine. And I feel like, wait a minute, I didn't start this. Right.
1: Yep. Yep, I, I'm with you. I'm I've been, you're you're living my life. You know, I, I can relate. <laughs>
0: um, and then when it comes to majors and minors, we probably don't all handle this the same way, but we handle it similar. the The fundamental doctrines of the faith: virgin birth, salvation by Christ alone, through faith alone, through grace alone. And by the way, believing those things doesn't make you Calvinist or Reformed. It makes you Bible. All right, right, all right. So. Um, they have their own version of it. Armenians have their version of it, and then there's others that have a version that's neither. Now, anyway, the um, so we got the basic things, literal heaven, literal hell, the Bible's the, the absolute in, uh, word of God. It's verbally inspired, it's plenarily inspired. Okay, those things are all majors. If people are missing on one of these points, now they're starting to move away from the foundational doctrines of Christianity. Right. Um, When it comes to minor things, now, I mean, compared to what? I mean, dispensationalism. You don't have to be a dispensationalist to be saved. It's not one of the fundamental doctrines of the faith. But wow, is it important.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: you're not going to understand the Bible, the whole thing, the way you should if you're not a dispensationalist and dispensationalism is not an artificial grid that you put on the Bible and then you cinch the clamps down and, and you, (laughs) you know, no dispensationalism is simply letting the promises of God made to Israel in the old Testament be fulfilled literally and understand a distinction between Israel and the church and everything else falls into place.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So you're right. It's, 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 compared to what, what's major and what's minor. And, uh, and, uh, you know, you, you know, back in the fifties when they had the fundamentalist modernist controversy, you know, the fundamentals of the faith were things like the deity of Christ and of scripture, virgin birth, uh, born again, experience those types of things. Um, but that shifts, you know, that, that, uh, the Overton window of theology, if you will, shifts. Yep. And, uh, and, and so now, uh, you know, now it's different. So I just, I mean, I think in principle, as you said, all of us function in the terms of major minor, it's it's what, what we prioritize, but I don't think it really adds much to the overall philosophical discussion to, to talk in those terms because you, everybody has different standards.
0: And one thing I would point out, we have, there's no doubt that some things in the Bible are more important and some are secondary and some are maybe even tertiary. But nothing in the Bible gives you permission to set aside any aspect of revelation just because you think it's small. Right. You have an obligation to submit to all of it and obey all of it and implement all of it. And the only excuse is if you have no idea what it means, and so you can't o- obey it. But you still have a heart to search it out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. even things in the Bible like the head covering, which some people get all bent out of shape and they 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 throw that around like it's almost as important as eternal security. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, you, you it, it is an issue, Right. and it doesn't matter if you think it's the twenty four seven Anabaptist style head covering or a Plymouth Brethren's. Or some Bible churches and Presbyterians will wear it too, where it's a devotional head covering worn during a meeting, or if you think it's a woman's long hair, at least let it mean something. It's going down the path of being literal, but you yeah. can't go down the liberal path and say, "Oh, this is this doesn't mean anything," and just throw it away.
1: Right? Yeah. You 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 know, it's in the all Scripture is, is profitable. The whole counsel of God. We've got to have an answer for it. Um, you know, you're you're right about. Uh, that I, I, when I was teaching full-time, I used to do an exercise that, that a professor I had years ago had, had used that, which I loved where you have your students take a survey of what area of theology is most uh, interesting to you or of most importance to you. You know, the classic 10 categories, right? My, yeah. God, Christ, So forth. And, and, and then, and, and everybody has it right for me. It's soteriology and eschatology. I'll just tell you that right up front. That's what makes my heart dance. Now, you know, as a systematic theologian and, and someone who studied this at the highest levels, of course, I have to be studied and somewhat conversant on all areas. But if all things being equal, you're going to find me contemplating, thinking, writing, reading about eschatology and soteriology. Those are my my bailiwicks. And so everybody has it. Um, and what the purpose of the exercise was, was then we went around and we started to discover that historically throughout church history whatever area was of greatest interest to a particular group ended up being the area that they also got off balance with. So for yep. example, charismatics, it's pneumatology. And where are they you know, in error most often in pneumatology? And you just go right down the line. And so the, the, the moral of the story is uh, we have to, as you say, not neglect any part of it, It's okay to to recognize and own the fact that certain areas are more passionate to you, but you can't ignore it. Otherwise you'll get out of balance because there's an interconnectedness to all areas of theology. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Boy, that's a good closing word, brother. That is a really good closing word. Well, we're done with the questions. So we are formally done here now. Um, If if you have anything you want to add to what you just said, brother, um, close her up. And other than that, we're basically done. We'll I'll have you close us in prayer if you don't have anything else to add.
1: You bet. I just want to say thanks again. It's been a delight, uh, really invigorating and encouraging. And just uh, don't get to have these discussions on this level and, and, and for this length of time very often. So thank you for the privilege and love to do it again sometime. But let's uh, let's close out in prayer. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for just for your goodness and your grace. Lord, we've talked so much about uh, how you've revealed yourself in your word and what that means to us on a practical level, how we live our lives, how we promote grace, how we expect and look expectantly toward your return. Lord, I just pray that we would leave this uh, discussion tonight encouraged, built up in the faith, and Lord, uh, uh, help us to always keep our eyes fixed on on you and, and seeing the signs of the times and, and looking expectantly toward heaven. And Lord, as we said, if there's anyone listening that doesn't know you, we pray that today in simple childlike faith, they would trust in Jesus Christ, your son and our savior uh, for eternal life. And it's in his precious name that we pray, amen.
0: Amen. And folks, what we're gonna be wrapping up now. We're We're done. Thank you for showing up. I wanna thank my moderators for your help for gathering the questions, for interacting with the people in the room. You guys are a treasure to me. You're a tremendous, tremendous blessing, you guys and you gals. So take care, everyone. Keep looking up. Keep pressing onwards. Keep pressing upwards. Mm. Um, We're going to go home soon. Amen. If you don't mind hanging on for a second, Jabe, I'll shut this room down.
1: Okay.